This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, why is tonight different from all other nights? It is because, in addition to a lot of great information and entertainment that is hopefully coming your way for the next four hours, the first hour of this show is dedicated to you, answering your questions on any subject you like, and I will do my best to answer them. It is time for The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. That's right, the hour where you can ask me anything you like, anything you're curious about, anything you want my opinion about. If you have uh, questions from A to Z, from advice to Zimbabwe, I will do my best to answer any questions that you have. Not necessarily trivia, because either I know it or I don't, but if you're genuinely curious about my opinion about something, I am happy to offer it to you. Uh, If you have questions about the uh, inside nature of the radio business, I'm happy to uh, offer you whatever limited knowledge I have about the radio business or anything else that I have, uh, I don't know, experience with or some degree of expertise in or an opinion in. Now's the time. Movies, television, books, pro wrestling, you name it. 800-848-9222. That's one 800 Eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Let me begin. Oh, and by the way, to sweeten the pot a little bit, whoever comes up with the best question today, uh, we, as determined by Matt Blaze, Kenneth, and uh, Alex Barnard, we will give you a complimentary other side of midnight T-shirt, as determined by them. Uh, I'm out of the judging process. Sometimes they make judgments that I don't agree with. Sometimes they make judgments I do agree with. But whatever your questions you have, now's the time. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Pete in Piscataway. Hello, Pete. Hi, Frank. Frank, do you consider Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, a bad movie? Uh, that is such a good question. Look, no, I don't. I would never, I would never consider any film, um, any film directed by William Shatner a bad film. Now... And I actually think Star Trek V is not the worst of the Star Trek films, and I think that there are a lot of great parts to it. For instance, the scene where they're sitting around the campfire singing Row, Row, Row Your Boat, I think that's a wonderful scene. I think the uh, scene towards the end where uh, Scotty and uh, General Cord are sharing some uh, some booze, some Scotch whiskey. I think that's a wonderful scene. I think the uh, the complicated relationship that Spock has with Cybok is interesting. The thing that makes Star Trek V um, not in league with the film that came before it and the film that came after it is just there are so many weak parts to it as well, and the story is a little is a little weak. So I don't consider it a bad movie. I still watch Star Trek V from time to time. I just uh, I, I do like a lot of Star Trek fans have some problems with it, but I'm more than happy to suffer through it those part problematic parts of it because it has so many good parts as well. I think they call that a curate's egg, something described as partly bad and partly good. I do not consider Star Trek V 
a bad movie. I want to be very clear about that. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Uh, let me say hello to Mike in St. James. Hello, Mike. Hello, Frank. Uh, two quick ones. Does WABC Radio have anything to do with the American Broadcasting Company and Channel 7 no. television? No. Okay. Nothing separate. All right. Now, on congestion pricing, I saw on the Internet that the city council has already passed that law, and it was approved by the legislature. So the only thing in doubt is the price. Am I wrong? Uh, I think you mean the state legislature. Uh, but um, but yes, that that is that is more or less the the deal. The state legislature has agreed to go forward with it. They're already behind schedule, but there's no reason that a new governor and this is one of the reasons that I'm uh, I'm going to vote for Lee Zeldin. Uh, there's no reason that a new governor couldn't scrap a congestion pricing plan. Uh, don't you think the uh, Lee Zeldin should be pushing in his campaign that this may cost motorists, it could be $5,000 a year if you're a commuter. Yes, yes, absolutely. This should be a huge issue. And uh, not just for uh, voters on Long Island and Staten Island, voters in the Bronx and Brooklyn and Queens. You think they want to pay a congestion pricing fee? I think this issue, uh, I know it's a, a tough road to hoe for Lee Zeldin because of abortion and because of Donald Trump. But I think this issue, the congestion pricing issue, is potentially the most potent issue that Lee Zeldin has to make inroads in traditionally Democratic communities, particularly in the Bronx, in Queens, and Nassau counties. Um, I still don't know that he wins, but I, if I were him, I, every other word out of my mouth would be congestion pricing. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Ignatius in Newark. Hello, Ignatius. Were the wrongful convictions of Janine Pirro discussed at the 100th anniversary? They were not, Ignatius. They were not. Neil on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, GQ Frank. You know, you should you should be on the cover with AOC. You'll look really great in that, you know. Very <laughs> yeah. handsome looking guy. I appreciate that. I'm sure I'd sell I'd, I'm sure I'd sell a lot of copies. Thank you. It'd be in the, it'd be in the third printing by now, Frank. Because <laughs> <laughs> the first two were blurred. <laughs> My question is with the Artemis uh rocket. Now, if they get the leaks under control and they decide to launch with people and William Shatner was going to go on the rocket for the first trip, and he's called you up and he says, hey, Frank, why don't you come with me? We'll go together into space. Would you have the guts to go on that rocket with William Shatner after they just might have fixed the fuel leak? Absolutely. Are you kidding? I definitely, uh, definitely, definitely go for it. One, I have a great deal of confidence that the engineers at NASA wouldn't put humans in it unless there was a reasonable expectation that uh, it was relatively safe. And second, if um, if I'm going to go, what a way to go with William Shatner. I mean, uh, I, I, I would I would love it. Absolutely. 800-848-9222. Al is in Yonkers. Hello, Al. Yeah, hi, Frank. As you know, John Fetterman, who's running for uh, senator in the state of Pennsylvania, in May he had a stroke, and it's pretty apparent that he's unwell. Uh, you know, recently they had the first debate in the state with Dr. Oz, who's his opponent, and he didn't show up. You would have to agree that uh, Fetterman would at least have to debate once so the voters of Pennsylvania 
would have an opportunity to see he, if he's up to the job and that he can do the job. Well, I did a whole commentary on this either yesterday or the day before. I think any candidate that doesn't debate, whether it's Fetterman or whether it's uh, Kathy Hochul, you have to question why. What are they afraid yeah. of? In Fetterman's case, it's one of two things, right? Fetterman, I can't imagine, is afraid to debate Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz, while he's an exper- experienced television personality, he doesn't he doesn't know a debate format as well as Fetterman does. He's never run for office before, and he's likely to make some rookie mistakes. So what it tells me about Fetterman, and I think Oz himself said this this week, what it tells me about Fetterman is he's either trying to conceal the true nature of his current health from the public, uh, and that's something I think Pennsylvanians have a right to know, and they can determine whether or not that's going to affect their vote or not. Or two, he's trying to conceal the true nature of his far-left positions from the people of Pennsylvania, and I'm not really sure which is worse. So I think um, I think candidates should debate, and I think voters have a right to ask candidates when they're refusing to debate, why? Why not? Now, exactly. sometimes not debating works. Works. Uh, I'm, my friend, uh, I had two friends that ran for Congress against one another. One was heavily favored. The other was not. The one that was not went to every debate, every candidate night there was. The one that was heavily favored, he only went to one debate. And then the guy that lost called me and, excuse me, yeah, the guy that lost called me afterwards. And he says, after this, I mean, this goes to show that debates don't matter. Why would you ever debate? Uh, now, and, and there's something to that. I think the only way, the only reason... These debates matter is if you get guff for not debating. Uh, but uh, I'm asking the question, why is Hochul not debating Lee Zeldin? I mean, if I was uh, Kathy Hochul, and my, I mean, think about what Kathy Hochul's doing, not to pick on her because other politicians do this in other states. Hochul is right now, uh, Zeldin wants nine debates. Hochul is refusing to debate him at the moment. She says she wants to, but we're yet to see any schedule. But she's buying television ads to get her message out. Meanwhile, the networks are happy to have her get her message out for free in a debate format. She's paying rather than being given this free airtime. Now, obviously, she's there to confront Zeldin. And the other thing is, if I'm Hochul, one, you know your positions on guns, on Donald Trump, and on abortion are much more in line with New York State voters than Zeldin's are. So um, I would welcome the opportunity to advertise that contrast before the people of the state of New York. Additionally, if you saw, I'm, I'm going to vote for Zeldin, but uh, that doesn't mean I can't be critical of him. If you saw Zeldin's performance in the Republican primary debates, I, I, I think putting it charitably, he was awful. He was awful. I, I, I think he was either the third or fourth best candidate on that stage. He's not great in a debate format, which actually surprised me. Because so much of the role of a congressman is debating. Hochul, uh, I think, if you, well, I thought Swazi and Jamani Williams both bested her in the debates that they were in against her. I think Hochul's a much better debater than Zeldin. So um, what is she afraid of? I, I don't understand why she's hiding. I think we have an idea of why Fetterman's hiding. But as a voter, I find it incredibly insulting. 800-848-9222. That's 800 848 Two two John is in Freehold. Hello, John. Hey, Frank. Pleasure as always. Thank um, you. So my my question is, if um, John Casamitidi offers you a job where you'll make millions of dollars and you can only choose only one person, Avery, Matt, Matt, Kenneth, or Alex, 
What are you going to take with you? Only one person? Well, what's the job? What's the nature of the job, and what is that person doing? It's a secret. Well, I mean, honestly, I would. it would depend on what the job was, both the job that I'm getting and the job that I have to hire a, a second person for. It would definitely not be Avery. That's the easy one uh, to eliminate. Same job. Same what? job. But same job, but only one person. You can only have one person to work for you. Right. Uh, well, so, I mean, meaning everybody's in their current role now? What? Yeah. I, no, all you right. Got- all right, thank you, John. All right, uh, I, I, honestly, I would pick uh, whoever I thought was best qualified for whatever open position there was, and it depends on what I would be doing. Right? Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Trying to answer your questions on any subject. Hey, speaking of money, I cannot understand why this is still going on, but let us try to address this now. Alyssa, who uh, won a hundred dollars on the thousand dollar minute, is calling in with a question about her prize. Uh, Alyssa, what's the story? You still didn't get any money? Um, I thought I was supposed to ask the question. Well, go ahead. Let me go ahead and let you uh, ask the question, but go ahead. Okay. Yeah, why haven't I received the prize money I won on your show a month ago? So, Kenneth, I just asked Kenneth this off the air when I saw that you were calling. What is the story here? I thought we were were getting this all squared away. What happened? Uh, Kenneth, we can't hear you. It's in the process right now. Uh, the last thing I heard from Matt was that he was going to speak to Chad about this whole thing with the $100, like giving it away and whatnot. Uh, so do we have a time frame or anything like that? Well, I reached out to Jake just now again, forwarding him the same type of email and uh, waiting for him to get back to me on that. Wait, wait, so. wait, that same type of email? If the other one yes, didn't the, work, the why other, are you sending him the same? No, the other email, I'm forwarding that email to him and saying, what's the deal with this? Right, she uh, won so, on August 12th, yada, 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 yada. Alyssa, uh, what we'll do is uh, text me right now your Venmo handle. I will Venmo you $100 right now. And then uh, if you get your prize money, maybe send send it back to me. But uh, no, there's no reason you should have to wait any longer. Wait, text, wait text if I me. get my prize. Oh, oh, I get it. I yeah, get it. You know, I get just, it. just reimburse me. Yeah, just reimburse me if and when you get it. And I'm, I, I'm sure you will. I will. Text me. You, uh, Text me right now, and I will Venmo. You. Text what me whatever your, your Venmo. Eight one six eight Morano. Um, but uh, say something 816 so yeah, Morano. yeah. Say something so I know it's you, and I don't have five hundred people sending me their Venmo handle asking for a hundred dollars. So oh, yes, yeah. I will do um, the text. Secret. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Uh, thank you, Alyssa. I appreciate your patience. I'm sorry about that. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Leo's on the Upper West Side. Hello, Leo. Good morning, Frank. Morning. Uh, I have originally a uh, question about some music from Jeff Wayne with the uh, extraterrestrials. But uh, I want to ask you one thing for a long time. What about if, because I have theory that uh, they have some experimental drug which they're pumping in a Biden that speech he got, the last one, the red one, he was for a long time speaking relatively okay. Those have always having side effects, and I think it's not long before the 25th Amendment. My question is, if he would be taken out by Senate by 25th Amendment, does he have the right to pardon his son to give him a free card out of jail? Um, well, it would depend on when he issued that uh, that pardon. Uh, so, if he issues it while he is uh, while he's still the president, before that he's removed, he absolutely does have the right to pardon his son or anyone else he wants. 
but you know, with Alzheimer, he's gonna start slowly getting really so bad that he's not gonna be. Uh, I don't know if he can do it ahead. Maybe he have already paper in over office laying on his table that he is pardoning him for any kind of crime. But if he doesn't do it until he gets really ill and they take him out, he doesn't have the right. No, obviously anymore, once right? obviously once he's removed, he can't pardon anybody. Just like Donald Trump right now, not that he was removed, but he's no longer president. Donald Trump or any former president doesn't have the option to pardon anybody. So if Biden's removed from office or, or he's no longer president, if he loses re-election, he can't pardon anybody. No, that that pardon power is something that is unique for the president. We're going to be talking a little bit more about pardons at, uh, at 2 o'clock. 800-848-9222. We're going to continue with your questions in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. By Louis Vega. Uh, you notice there are never any talk, uh, any songs about talk show hosts saving people's lives, right? Um, if you ever want to know what kind of bumper music we're playing, just join our Facebook group, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. Just search that on Facebook, and we post the songs each and every morning. Uh, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. All right, we're answering your questions on any subject. You want my opinion about something? You want to know how I would hypothetically handle something? You have a question about how something works? You have a question about something I'm doing in my life? Something going on inside the radio world? I'm happy to do whatever I can to try to answer that question. I don't have the answers to everything, but I can at least give my best shot at answering whatever question you have because it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Let me say hello to Jay in Edison, New Jersey. Hello, Jay. Hi, Frank. Uh, I'm going to say something I think all your listeners, like about 80-plus percent of them, would probably agree with me. Okay, the and then I hope it's a feed. question in the end. It is. I'm going to give you a question in the end. The news feed that you guys have sounds to me like it's usually about 80% against Trump. In other words, they put two or three things in there that are against Trump, and they'll put in one good thing, and then they'll th- th- throw three or four things at him that are against him. And it reminds me a lot of CBS, NBC, and ABC. Uh, not as bad as CNN, not as bad as MSNBC, but still very slanted. And so my question to you is, why do we have to have a news feed like that? Why can't we get a when you more... When you say a news feed, what do you mean a news feed? Well, on the top of the hour, the different newses and on the half hour where they report the national news, and usually it's political and has something to do with Trump often, of okay, course. Okay, so um, give me an example. Like, what was, the, what was a half hour ago? 
Oh, I didn't hear it a half hour ago. I haven't even been listening to it for the last couple of weeks. I've gotten tired of hearing it. All right. Well, so, I mean, it's difficult. I I can tell you there is um, no anti-Trump bias on the part of our news department. If anything, uh, the person person that's in charge of, uh, of the news department is Lydia Serrani, who is a Newsmax contributor and who's a conservative and has no problem offering her opinion on the radio. And it's almost always a conservative opinion. She's very critical of de Blasio. And I see the um, the articles that she sends to the news anchors on a daily basis. And if anything, I think it's it's um, it has it's tilted towards the conservative end of things. But I actually think it's pretty fair. So I, I actually don't agree with you that there's an anti-Trump bias to the news at all. Jay, I I think that that could not be further from the truth. Uh, and if that's your perception, uh, I don't know. I mean, Trump's involved in a lot of news. He tends to make news more than Biden does, even though that Biden's the president now. And not all those stories can be spinned positively. You know, the FBI raids your house. That's news. What are we going to not report it? And it's difficult to spin that as a positive news story. So, um, I mean, anybody's welcome to uh, chime in on that, Matt Blaze. I mean, you get. Are you on the news department emails? Hello. No, but no, I, you're not. I, I agree with you. I think that makes absolutely no yeah, sense. Yeah, I mean, you hear these said. news yeah. newscasts. There's no, no anti-Trump at bias at all, in the slightest. No, not in the slightest. Like you said, it, it leans the other way. It's, if at all, no if sense. at all, yeah. I think it's pretty fair. I, I honestly, eight hundred eight four eight nine two. Two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. John is in Brooklyn. Hello, John. Frank, what do you think of the possibility that we may have a live action Star Trek featuring Kate Mulgrew reprising Janeway? And yeah. I have a little interesting tidbit to tell you after that. So. Uh, well, look, I'd love to see it. I, I think she was terrific as uh, as Captain Janeway and then Admiral Janeway in uh, Star Trek First Contact. So I would love to see her uh, reprise, uh, Kate Mulgrew, reprise her role on, uh, you know, in that role. So uh, what's your tidbit? Anyway, she is an old friend. That's the one you've had as a guest recently, twice on the program. And they both acted together on the soap opera many, many Years ago. Moreover, when I had to go to the memorial service for the brother of her friend, she showed up. I couldn't talk to her about Star Trek. I I was talking only about the brother, but I thanked her for attending. And it's someone whose initials are M.M. M.M. Yes. All right. Thank you, John. Appreciate that. I'm not going to go and guess who that is, but it was interesting. 800-848-9222. Tom is in the Bronx. Hello. Yeah. Hi, Frank. I'd like to say, uh, what do you think of uh, margarine? I know heard you talk about butter, but then I've got something about butter to tell you. Yeah, I don't have a strong opinion about margarine, although I think um, it's waned in popularity in recent years because I think people realize it's not really much of a healthier option. I think people used to patronize it because they thought it was better for you than butter. And I think these days, both in terms of uh, cholesterol and saturated fat and in terms of calorie content, that it's not. Uh, So uh, I don't think that uh, I, I don't have a strong opinion either way. Yeah, uh, Frank, one last thing. They, uh, during World War II, 
in Okinawa, they my father was building uh, Quonset huts over there. You know, it was with a team, the Seabees, they call them S E A B E E S, and and uh, when it was time to have a meal, they had laid out the food for them and. They had the butter, believe it or not. It looked like butter. It was, it was uh, yellow as the sun, but it never melted even in that hot temperature. It just sat on the table, and it never melted. It just stayed together, so it was hit with all kinds of chemicals. Oh, yeah. Well, I believe it. I believe it. I mean, that was always the rub against margarine, that it was uh, too artificial. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Igor is in Fairfield. Hello, Igor. Greetings, Frank. Hey, uh, congratulations on the new ratings period. Dominic Carter had mentioned you did very, very well. Thank you. Number one. Thank you. Uh, Wanted to ask you a few questions about those ratings, if you possibly know. Through the four hours of your program, I'm guessing that not the same number of people on average tune in for all of the individual parts of the four hours. Maybe if you knew a little bit about that and is there uh, – can you tell me, like, what the split is between people who listen to your show directly on 770 AM and how many people listen to you on podcast or, or things like that? Uh, so I can't say the difference in terms of how many people listen on the radio versus the live stream because one of the things that uh, that we've changed recently under John's leadership, and I think it was a change for the better, is we do a 100% simulcast of the radio station on the stream. So what that allows us to do is count every listener – who uh, listens to the stream, they count exactly the same way as if they're listening on the radio. There's no difference. There's no dichotomy. So I don't have – I'm sure there is a way to tell how many people are listening on the stream versus – in fact, I'm sure there is uh, versus how many people are listening on the the radio. But it's all counted together in terms of the the, uh, radio. As far as podcasts go, uh, podcast downloads aren't taken into account – in the ratings, uh, Nielsen, the company that uh, that measures ratings, they don't measure our podcast numbers. We measure our own podcast numbers, and uh, we're doing very well. But still, the majority of people that listen to this show overwhelmingly are people that listen live, either on the radio or on the live stream, where our podcast numbers have grown tremendously. I think we're the third or fourth most downloaded podcast on the uh, Red Apple Radio, Red Apple Audio Network. So um, we're grateful for that, but um, we don't. Uh, it, that's not that's not a factor when measuring the ratings. Thank you, Igor. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Paul is in Astoria. Hello, Paul. Hi, Frank. Good evening. How are you? Great. Thank you. Great. I recently purchased this great book from Amazon called The History of Music Radio 77 WABC by Ron Milioni. Well, if I'm saying it right, M-I-L-I-O-N-E. I'm a lover of books, and I know that you had mentioned when you went to the party the other night you were walking around with a satchel and getting autographs. My question to you would be, would you ever consider writing a book about, I guess, your life or about uh, being a talk radio show host uh, or an autobiography? Well, I'd love to do that. I, I have a, a ton of book ideas, not only about all of the subjects that you just mentioned, but a lot of other book ideas as well. Um, my struggle, honestly, right now, Paul, is, is time. Uh, the My entire day is consumed with sleep, uh, taking care of my son, preparing for the show, driving to work, 
doing the show, driving home from work, and doing the whole thing over again. I, I have very little time for almost anything else. So I um, – and now I, I recognize that's a poor excuse, and a lot of other people have been trying to get me to write uh, some some more articles and things like that or at least pitch myself to more TV stations to try to be a guest on other uh, TV shows from time to time. And I, I have to figure out a better system for time management. But at, at this point, my big struggle is, uh, is time, uh, because, especially since the baby was born. And I'm not complaining because, you know, I really enjoy the time that I spend with him. But the, the time that I'm spending with him right now is time that I'm not spending writing a book. Now, I hope and pray uh, every day that I'm never fired from this job. I hope to do this job for the rest of my life. But if I'm ever fired, or, or then maybe that's when I would write uh, a book. Or maybe when uh, Carmine is in school during the day and I'm not watching him during the day. Uh, I certainly hope it's the latter rather than the former. 800-848-9222. Sherry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Sherry. Hi, Frank. Good morning. How are you? Great. Thank you. Hey, it was great to meet you at uh, Michael's of Brooklyn a couple of weeks ago. Likewise. 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 Sorry, I haven't been able to call since then. Oh, uh, that's all right. I have a question. I have a question for you. We all know you're a Star Trek fan, and we all know you're an admin going into outer space. Mm-hmm. So now you know the actress that played Lieutenant Uhuru, Michelle Nichols. Her ashes are supposedly going to be put in orbit around the sun for perpetuity. Right. So now my question to you is, if you believe in cremation, would you have, and it was available to you, would you have all your ashes or uh, uh, a part of your ashes put into uh, orbit around the sun? You, you know, I'm not really a uh, a crem- cremation guy, honestly. I, I look if I have all sorts of um, all sorts of money, then what I would love to do. Is be is be cryogenically frozen and brought back um, years from now. If I if but realistically, unless I'm you know worth six hundred million dollars, I don't want to necessarily spend the amount of money necessary to be cryogenically frozen when that's money that my family probably needs. So assuming that uh, assuming that I'm not going to be cryogenically frozen, I would just rather be uh, be buried and uh, and have that be that. Uh, and you know I, I'm not really much of a cremation person for me. I mean, whatever people want to do for themselves, that's great. You, you know what I wouldn't mind? Yeah, well, thank you, Sherry. You know what I wouldn't mind? Like At the end of Star Trek II, where um, they shoot Spock out in that photon torpedo tube and he lands on the Genesis planet. I'd love to see that. By the way, yesterday was Star Trek Day. Yesterday was the anniversary of Star Trek first coming on the air. Um, so it's appropriate that we have all these Star Trek questions today. All right, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Sal is in Pennsylvania. Hello, Sal. Hey, how you doing, Frank? Good. I want to ask you, do you think liberals lack common sense? Um, well, I'm going to say... I'm going to say no. It depends on the issue, right? And it depends on what you mean by a liberal, right? If you're talking about an extreme progressive that thinks it's offensive to talk about Thomas Jefferson, I, I, I think yes. That's an aspect of lacking common sense. But I think there are a lot of conservatives that like lack common sense as well. If you're going to go around saying that because the FBI is – uh, led poorly or poorly organized or doing things that you don't like, that we should defund the FBI 
I think that lacks common sense as well. Uh, but no, I'm not willing to say that any political ideology uh, lacks common sense at all. Uh, I mean, you give me a specific issue and someone who takes the opposite view of uh, what I think is the common sense view, I might say, yeah, that's someone who lacks common sense with respect to that particular view. But I think one of the things that we need to shy away from, Sal, is painting with too broad of a brush, right? And we all tend to do that. I do it. A lot of of people do it. And people that don't share our worldview on something, and I'm not even just talking about politics, could be sports, could be business, could be parenting, could be religion, could be anything. We so often tend to view that person as an alien. And that's one of the things that I've sought to change on this show. It's one of the reasons I enjoy doing panel discussions and having different mixes of people in studio and uh, do these um, the other side of Governor's Island debates because I think it's important for people to not only see but understand why people differ from them on certain issues. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Bill is in Huntington. Hello, Bill. Okay, I was thinking about this question earlier this week. Who was the most positive character on the Flintstones? I would think, it's been a while since I've seen the Flintstones, so I'd have to rewatch it, but I would think it's uh, Barney Rubble. Hmm. I keep going back to Bam Bam. Well, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, you know... I know Bam Bam was well-intentioned, but the fact that he was so violent, uh, as, at least as a youth, it's difficult for me to ascribe him to totally positive status. Barney struck me as a guy that really just wanted to be liked. He had, very, very, he had no ill intentions of his own. Um, I, think, um, I think he just struck me as a nice guy that wanted to be everybody's friend, especially Fred's, and all the problems that he got into were because of that. So I don't think... Uh, I, my vote is still for Barney. I see why you say Bam Bam. My vote is still for uh, Barney. 800-848-9222. Juliana is in Fairfield. Hello, Juliana. Hi, I'm about Nancy Pelosi. When she started in office, she only had about $27,000, and now she's got $76 million or something like that. How come nobody ever tries to prosecute her for using her gavel to make her stock exchange purchases? Well, unfortunately, again, I'd have to look at the numbers uh, that you that you decided. But assuming you're correct, uh, that uh, she used her influence as a member of Congress to grow her portfolio. And I really I, I think her husband is super wealthy and I'm sure her husband has benefited greatly from uh, from her his wife's connections. But unfortunately, until recently. Insider trading was legal for members of Congress, and unfortunately, it's something that both Republicans and Democrats did and did plentifully, and uh, that's why. That's why she was never prosecuted if those numbers are what you suggest and if there's evidence that she used her position to benefit her own uh, financial portfolio. That's why, because up until recently with the passage of the Stock Act, there was uh, basically a carve-out for members of Congress on the issue of uh, insider trading. 800-848-9222. Kathy is in New Jersey. Hello, Kathy. Hi. How are you, Frank? Great. Thanks. I'd like to know if you treated your lawn yet for the nuts edge. <sighs> it's still there. I, um, I, I spoke with my wife about that product 
I believe it's called Sledgehammer that some people recommended. And I think we're going to go that route. Uh, but um, my lawn guy is supposed to come today. So I'm hoping to have a conversation with him about that today because, heaven forbid, I use any product that he doesn't approve of. I don't want to hear him complain about that in perpetuity. So the nuts edge is still there. It does go away. It gets whacked whenever he mows the lawn, but it grows much faster than the rest of the, the grass does. I still am so tempted to pluck it, but uh, the, uh, the overwhelming evidence that I've seen shows that that does very little. So it's still there. 800-848-9222. Michael is in Indiana. Hello, Michael. Hello, Frank. Morrow. Hi. I have a question. I'm, well, I'm an overall trucker who tries to listen to you at night live. Terrific. Thanks. WABC app. But when I can't, I listen to the podcast through Spotify. A few weeks ago, you uh, posed to the audience of winning the billion-dollar lottery, and what would you do with it? Well, I don't want to rehash all that, but you talked about buying a, um, a radio station. My question, I have a couple question is, would you buy or create a radio station there in New York City where you'd be competing against John and Red Apple Media and WABC? And would you try and bring over WABC personalities such as um, that guy who calls Frank Mamaluke Curtis with you? Well, it's interesting. Obviously, the first person I'd talk to about this would be uh, would be John, uh, and I would not do anything to hurt John in any way. And uh, again, this is the radio station that I that I want to be on. So uh, I guess, given what you just described, I probably wouldn't would do it would probably do it elsewhere, and maybe I could work with John in some capacity. So um, uh, look, uh, Curtis, as far as you as far as you know, as you mentioned. He's a great talent. I think any radio station would be lucky to have him uh, in in any market. We'll continue with your calls in just a moment. We have two open lines if you want to jump on board, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. As I'm concerned, Pink is one of the great musical artists uh, of all time. And I'm saying that quite literally. It was just her birthday this week, just yesterday. Uh, She was 43 years old. And uh, for her to have this incredible body of work at uh, 43 years of age is incredible. Incredible. Uh, All right, 800-848-9222. We have one open line 
which we rarely do when we do this particular hour of The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Anything you have questions about, now is the time to ask it. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Alfred is in Whitestone. Hello, Alfred. Hello, Frank. I love your show. I listen to it every chance I can get. Thank Keep you. Keep up the good work. Thank you. I want to know, uh, I would like to see the original Star Wars movie from 77 with all the edited stuff that they took out put back in. I want to know how long would the movie be if that was the case. And what happened to the the sand people after the original movie came out? You didn't see it in the movies that followed and the series that followed the series after the original that came on. What happened to the Sand People? And when was the very first episode of Star Trek? What year? It was. I uh, think it was sixty-four. Sixty-six. Uh, sixty-six. But um, sixty-five. What? No, sixty-six. Sixty-six. Uh, uh, how many pilots were there for Star Trek? Two. The uh, two. The first one was uh, The Cage. The second one was Where No Man Has Gone Before. Both great. Although neither 66? one of... 66? 66. And then um, there was not the... Neither one of those was the first episode to air, though. The first episode to air was The uh, the Man Trap. Now, in terms of the changes to um, the Star Wars A New Hope, I think in terms of um, – are you talking about the changes from the original to the special I'm edition? i the original 1977 yeah, no, no, movie. Uh, when you say the change – I'd change, like to see uh, that hang on, in its hang entirety. On, hang, hang on, Alfred. So when you talk about seeing it in its entirety and the changes they made, are you talking about the changes they made to the special edition? No, 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 no. I'm just talking about the Sand People. They were in the original movie. Why didn't they put the Sand People oh, right, in all right. the Right, but I thought you had a question about length of the of yeah, the film. Yeah, I had but two uh, questions. Yeah. Well, all right, but I, I'm trying to work my way, as painful as this is, through each of these questions. What uh, Your first question, let's start with that. Um, what changes are you talking about? Are you talking about the changes they made for the special Any edition? Any edited change they made in the first movie. Yeah, so I think... I would like to see it. Whatever they took out to shorten it, they put all that stuff that they took out back. How long would the movie be? That's the first question. Yeah, uh, it would be an hour and 45 minutes. Okay. Were the sand people used in every other Star Trek series and movie that followed the Star original? Wars. No, I think they were just in the first one. But, Alfred, I mean, there's nothing unusual about that. There's different aliens in all the Star Wars movies, right? In the... In the second one, you don't see those animals that are on the ice planet Hoth in any other film, right? In the third film, Return of the Jedi, you have the Ewoks. You don't see them in any of the other films. Well, I guess you see them later on briefly in the prequels. But And it's not unusual to have a race. That's one of the cool things about Star Wars is every film you see different cultures, different races, different cool robots. You know, it's a neat little thing. They, so, they didn't take anything out. They added to the movie. Yeah, uh, right. They, uh, they, they. Uh, yeah, and again, you're talking a difference of six and a half minutes. Right. I think. Well, so. they added all special effects. Right. Exactly. Yeah. George Lucas said, "This is the movie I wanted to make." I mean, the, the controversial, the the controversial aspect of it is the Greedo 
scene, which I'm not going to get into yeah, now. The, it's the, the beyond gre- my right, pay grade. The, the Greedo scene and Jabba the Hutt being in the first Yeah, one. but the Jabba the Hutt scene really didn't change anything about the characters or the or anything in the right. film. But they it, added it. They didn't take away. Right, right, I understand. But that scene was shot in anticipation of it being in the original film. It's not like Harrison Ford came back 20 years later and then shot that scene again. That scene right, was right. shot. It just uh, they didn't have the technology at the time to make Jabba the Hutt look um, as George Lucas felt that he that he should. 800-848-9222. Lynn is in Manhattan. Hello, Lynn. Hello, Frank. Listen, I want to ask a question about Bob Grant. I remember when um, he was on the radio in the 90s, he would encourage people to call the show and tell Mario Cuomo, Mario, Azendame, Duzi Provino, Spachim. And I never knew what Spachim meant. Do you have any idea what Spachim is? Yes. Uh, Spachim simply means uh, two-face. And uh, now if you listen to Curtis... Curtis, who doesn't speak Italian, he throws in all the, all these all these bizarre um, interpretations of what he thinks these Italian words are, and he makes it sound like hey, it's a curse not. word. But all it means is uh, is um, uh, you know uh, two face, and he felt that Mario Cuomo was a two face. Beautiful. Sir, yeah. I love your show. Thanks for your time. Thanks for taking my call. Take Thanks, Lynn. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Uh, let me say hello to Pat in Coney Island. Hello, Pat. How you doing, Frank? Good morning. Morning. I was just wondering, what's the chances of Mark Simone coming over? I know he's tight with uh, with John for years, and I see him. He, he goes to all the functions. I, I just assume he's like under contract, but I wonder is there any anywhere to him coming over to WABC? Uh, no idea, uh, no idea. Nobody said anything to me about it. Uh, he was at the gala the other day, but uh, I, as you yeah, said, yeah, yeah. as as you yeah. said, he uh, probably has a contract. I have no idea how long it's for, or you know, if he'd want to make a change. I know he's doing very well mm-hmm. over at uh, WOR, so I have uh, I have no idea, honestly. Nobody's mentioned it to me. Uh, by the way, Alex Barnard reminds me that the Sand prequel were also in the prequels. So the Sand people were in subsequent films. Uh, yeah, I, I had forgotten that. I don't know the prequel. I only saw the prequels once or twice when they were in theaters and then maybe once when they came out on DVD. I don't know that I saw them um, beyond that, really. I only saw them a couple times. The original trilogy I've seen many times. 800-848-9222-123 open lines. Uh, let me say hello to Fugazi Tom in the Bronx. Hello, Fugazi Tom. Hey, Frank. Are you serious you would do that cryogenics thing? If I had the money, yes. So you actually believe it would work? Well, I mean, if it doesn't work, I'm no more, I'm no more dead than I would be if I'm in the ground. So what do I have to lose? Oh, okay. I see. Because my question would have been, where would you get a soul from? which is the life source of our bodies. Yeah, it's a a good question, uh, Fugazi Tom. I think it's more of a spiritual question than a scientific question. Uh, So I I don't have an answer for you, but... um, I I don't think they can do it. Yeah, they may not be able to, but that's why I would only do it if I had a lot of money to burn, or in that case, a lot of money to freeze. uh, Because, you know, if it doesn't work, I'm still dead, right? People can make fun of me the way they make fun of Ted Williams' head right now. Uh, 
800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Yeah, hi, Frank. Hi. I'll just get right to the point. Thank um, you. Uh, I, I, I'm the that's a good, that's a good protocol for everybody, by the way. Yeah, I had a lot of smart comments to make, but forget about it. Yeah, anyway, that's late. Anyway, um, I heard on Rita Cosby tonight, and she interviewed Rudy Giuliani, that he was knighted. He was given an honorary knighthood by the Queen for his performance under pressure in the wake of uh, 9-11. I was just wondering if you knew if and, and how many Americans were also given honorary knighthoods by the Queen, and who were they? Um, that is an excellent question. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head how how many uh, there have been, but there have been plenty. Uh, George H. W. Bush was uh, was given an honorary knighthood. Um, Dwight D. Eisenhower, uh, Bill Gates was given an honorary knighthood. Um, it, it Bob Hope was given an honorary knighthood. Uh, I think. Um, uh, Ralph Lauren, Angelina Jolie, uh, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, oh. Billy Graham, uh, Paul Getty, Steven Spielberg, uh, Ronald Reagan. Uh, there, there have been a number of other folks th- that I'm, you know, that I don't have in front of me and can't recall. But I don't have a, an idea of. I don't know how many. Quite frankly, that's that's a good I, good question, and it's one I'll look into. All right, thank you, and thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. The end of the month, and we—it's uh, our 40th anniversary. We, we anniversary there uh, 40 years ago at the Sands. We go down there all the time, but I'd like to take my bride out somewhere off the off the boardwalk, somewhere nice to eat. That's you no know, <laughs> safe to get in and out of in the daytime, like a lunch or something. I thought maybe you have a yeah. What, what's your suggestion. favorite? What's your favorite food? Oh, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, really doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Okay. Um, there is this Afghan French restaurant called Satera yeah. that everybody is talking about all over the country. I haven't been there yet, but it's supposedly one of the best restaurants in the entire world. Now, it's a little pricey, so my wife always bristles whenever I suggest that we go there. So uh, I would suggest maybe that. If, um, you know, if you like Italian, uh, Angelo's Fairmount Tavern doesn't do lunch, but they do do an early dinner around 4 o'clock. Tennessee Avenue Beer Hall is good if you like something a little bit more casual. Uh, But um, I would go, if you're looking, if you're in an adventurous mood, I would go with Cetera. I can't. I don't think you can go wrong with that. Um, all right. Uh, let me now. I don't want to squeeze in anybody else here uh, because then we'll we'll run out of time. All right, Matt plays. Uh, do you have a consensus as to who has the best question for today? Larry from Brooklyn. Larry from Brooklyn about American Knights. Correct. Okay. Larry from Brooklyn, call back and we will send you a prize of some sort. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848. 9222. Coming up in just a minute, we'll talk a little bit about the case of Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon has surrendered and he's going to be charged, or he was charged, here in New York. We'll talk about that and the implications there. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Hope. No, Bob Hope. <laughs> Bob Barker. I have these, all these American knights in my head now. Uh, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population and get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.
This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. By the way, those of you that were listening last hour, you'll be happy to know, or sad to know, that I have Venmoed successfully $100 to that listener, Alyssa. So if you hear her call any other shows complaining that she didn't get paid, she got paid. Got paid. So uh, that's that. Now, I take I take that stuff very seriously. This is my name here, right? I want to uh, make sure people get their prizes that they have earned. And I'm hoping she gets her prize quickly so I can, I can be reimbursed because I'm not exactly in a position to be throwing out $100 bills uh, left and right. All right. Um, Steve Bannon is a, a former advisor to the president. His title in the White House was uh, counselor, chief counselor to the president. And uh, I know Steve Bannon a little bit. I certainly wouldn't say we're, we're friends. We've met a bunch of times. And I have had a lot of respect for him over the years as a thinker and a political strategist. We used to email from time to time. For some reason, I've asked him to come on the show a bunch because he used to listen to me uh, very regularly and offer me a lot of, you know, feedback. He'd agree with things. He'd disagree with things. And um, when he, uh, you know, I like I like a lot of what he says. Since the election, I have um, found his whole act a little tiresome. To be honest, I uh, but what we don't it doesn't matter my opinion of him. Somebody that I think I have a high degree of respect for as a thinker, certainly a smart guy. Additionally, if you look at what happened with him, just so you know, the background, Steve Bannon was part of a crowdfunding movement and he was charged federally with essentially ripping off the you know, people that were donating to this movement to build a wall. And so these folks donated money to the construction of a wall on the southern border. And what was alleged by federal prosecutors is that Bannon, instead, along with the organization's president, funneled more than $100,000 in donations to themselves, more or less. So he would have gone on trial federally, but he was pardoned in the waning days of the Trump administration by President Trump, gave him a pardon. So we no longer, he didn't have to be, he didn't have to go through a trial for that, certainly didn't have to risk being convicted, certainly didn't have to risk federal prison time. So now, now what comes out yesterday is that Bannon is charged in state court by the Manhattan district attorney for the same crime. Now, this was Steve Bannon as he did his perp walk in Manhattan yesterday. For every conservative this is what happens in the last days of a dying regime. They will never shut me up. They'll have to kill me first. I have not yet begun to fight. So he's been charged with two felony counts of money laundering, two felony counts of conspiracy, and one felony count of a scheme to defraud and could face a maximum sentence of 5 to 15 years on the most serious charge. 
I have to tell you, as a legal observer, I think they have a pretty strong case because a lot of the evidence was already gathered by the feds, by the Department of Justice and the prosecutors that were going to prosecute him before. The Manhattan DA's office essentially gets to, you ever see the movie Sleepers? It's a good movie. Robert De Niro, Kevin Bacon, Jason Patrick, Brad Pitt. It's an all-star cast. And um, there's, I don't want to give anything away because if you haven't seen the film, it's very tough. There are aspects of it that um, are very emotionally challenging. I, I haven't seen it in years and I still remember the various aspects of it that were very tough to watch. But there's this one scene where there's a lawyer. He's played by Dustin Hoffman, who's also in the film where Dustin Hoffman has to put on a defense, but the defense is already orchestrated. I don't want to get into the specifics of the film. And all Dustin Hoffman has to do is read. All he has to do is read words that have already been written for him. And I was thinking of that film yesterday because that's almost what the Manhattan DA's office has to do. They just have to read the same evidence, call the same witnesses, and make the same arguments that the U.S. Attorney's Office was going to make. And in some respects, they may have a much easier time because the kind of people that are likely to serve on a jury in Manhattan aren't exactly the people that are likely to be sympathetic to Steve Bannon. Um, That being said, of course, there are differences between state law and state statutes and federal law. But in both the state system and the federal system, you're not allowed to rip people off. It's still fraud. So... Why are we talking about this? I have, I want to ask you a question. So the federal process is over for Steve Bannon. Now he's going to go through a state prosecution. Do you think that you should be able to be prosecuted for a state crime if you were either acquitted or pardoned for that same crime federally, and vice versa. If you were charged with a state crime and you were either acquitted or pardoned, should you then be permitted to be federally charged? Now, the first thing, before you call and answer me at 800-848-9222, that's 800-848-9222, the first thing you should know is your answer really doesn't matter because the Supreme Court has already spoken out on this issue. The Supreme Court has said that it's just fine that states and the federal governments are what they call dual sovereigns. So you can charge someone for the same, essentially the same crime or the same act, the same criminal act in state court as in federal court. And believe it or not, it happens all the time, even though in my view, it violates the very principle of double jeopardy. The most egregious example of this that I've seen was John Burke. John Burke, and maybe we'll do a future Racket Report episode on John Burke. John Burke was on trial for murder, I believe in Queens. This is going back 30 years to the early 90s. He's acquitted. He's acquitted. 20 years later, they say, the feds come in and say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to charge him in federal court for that same murder he was acquitted of. Only this time, we're not just going to call it murder. We're going to call it murder in aid of racketeering. And the jury found him guilty. Even though 
he had already been acquitted 20 years earlier. Uh, now, again, it doesn't matter that I think it's a violation of double jeopardy. It just it matters if the Supreme Court does. And the Supreme Court, uh, until there's a constitutional amendment clarifying this or maybe even legislation clarifying this or the Supreme Court, which has no problem overturning its own precedents, speaks on this issue again. The Supreme Court has said this is just fine. My question for you is, do you think this is appropriate? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Interesting. I'm going to play you some of the audio of uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano, the former senior judicial analyst for Fox News. He was on the Cats at Night show yesterday. He's somebody that I really respect and whose podcast I listen to. And when it comes to constitutional issues and legal issues, he really knows a thing or two. But as you queue up and prepare to answer my question of should you be able to be charged if you in, in federal court if you've already been acquitted in state court or vice versa, I think it's a little bit different in the case of Steve Bannon. And what I'd love for you to do, if you're a conservative, if you're somebody that likes Steve Bannon, pretend this is Joe Blow. Pretend this is someone you don't like, okay, and apply the same standard. If you're a liberal who can't stand Steve Bannon, do the same thing. Pretend this is someone you do like. And um, here's where I think the situation is different with Steve Bannon. And believe it or not, my friend Ken Curson went through this same situation. He, the, uh, he's uh, a, a good guy. Some of you may remember him. He used to be a regular guest on WABC. And he was actually the ghostwriter of Rudy Giuliani's book. They were charging him in federal court. And then they, um, the, the president pardoned him. This is for, was, a, I think, a cyber-stalking case, something to do with his ex-wife. And then uh, they brought state charges for essentially the same crime. And I like Ken, but I think what happened there in – I don't remember the Kirsten case as well as the Bannon case because the Bannon case is fresh in my mind. But the Bannon case is different than, the, say, the John Burke case. In the case of Steve Bannon, um, you have a situation – where he never really went through the federal process. It's not as if he did what Roger Stone did, where he went before a trial and was convicted and was sentenced. The president kind of cut that whole thing off and didn't allow the process to run its course before pardoning him. And there wasn't really much of a rationale for the pardon either. So I, I think in the case of Bannon... Maybe it makes a little more sense to go forward with this prosecution. But I'd love to know your thoughts. Uh, Again, the most important thing you need to know is it doesn't matter because the Supreme Court's already spoken out. You can be charged in state court and in federal court. 800-848-9222. This was Andrew Napolitano on the uh, Bannon case uh, on the Cats at Night show yesterday. You know, there was a time when uh, perp walks were um, invalidated in New York by the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. That decision still stands, but the police and the prosecutors do it, uh, and they and they get away with it. He was handcuffed, uh, I, by the way. I'm not in favor of it, no matter who the defendant is, because it gives the impression to the public from among whom the jurors will be chosen that, that the defendant is guilty. I agree. On the other hand, um, you know, this is a very uh, unusual case because the very same acts were pardoned when they violated a federal statute. But they still stand when they violate a state statute. Unfortunately, the Supreme Court has ruled that that is acceptable. The great it's it's a fascinating decision. Seven to two by the Supreme Court. It's fascinating because it involves a guy who was caught with a gun 
in his, the trunk of his car, and he was a convicted felon. It served his time, was, was free, but as a convicted felon, you can't own a gun. He was prosecuted by the state of Alabama. While he's in jail in Alabama, the feds prosecute him, and his lawyers say, double jeopardy, it can't be prosecuting me twice for the very same act. Goes all the way to the Supreme Court, seven to two. Supreme Court says, yes, you can. Here's the dissent written by Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, consented to by Justice Neil Gorsuch. So you have the most liberal progressive member of the court at the time and the most libertarian conservative member of the court agreeing that the double jeopardy clause bars a second effort to prosecute, even if it's a different jurisdiction. Now, that's the dissent. That's not the law. The law is that even though uh, Bannon was pardoned by former President Trump for the alleged federal crime, and even though the very same act triggered both prosecutions, he can be prosecuted uh, by the state. Now, what's interesting is they tried to do uh, this same DA's office when it was led by Cy Vance, tried to do the same thing to Paul Manafort uh, when they anticipated a Manafort pardon. And they uh, were going to go through this same thing that they're doing to Bannon, to Paul Manafort, and I think for the same reasons, which is mostly motivated by politics. And at the time, the state had a law prohibiting double jeopardy. So even though Vance moved forward, even though Vance moved forward with with, uh, charging Manafort, the Court of Appeals, which is the highest court in New York State, they ruled that Manafort couldn't have been couldn't be charged because of the state's double jeopardy law. Now, since then, they the state legislature has acted to rectify this to make it so that you can charge someone for the same crime, even if they've been pardoned for it. But my my question for you is whether we're talking a state prosecution or a federal prosecution, even though the Supreme Court says it's okay, even though the state legislature says it's okay. Do you think it's okay? And I'd love to strip the personalities out of it. Um, pretend if you like Bannon, pretend it's someone you don't like. If you don't like Bannon, pretend it's someone you do like. 800-848-9222. Harry is in New Jersey. Hello, Harry. Trump shouldn't have pardoned uh, Al Puro. Thank you, Harry. 800-848-9222. Charles is in New Jersey. Hello, Charles. Yeah, uh, that's double your party right there. And the... The justice system seems to have two sides. It plagues on one side if you belong to a certain group, and then the same justice plays differently if you belong to a different group. That's that's the decadence of this country. We are in serious problem. To be honest with you, that's my take. God bless you, sir. Well, thanks, Charles. Uh, I think it's certainly, even though the Supreme Court says it doesn't violate double jeopardy because of this dual sovereignty issue, in my view, it certainly does. What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Now, we've certainly seen a lot of Democrats be uh, charged both on a federal basis and on a state basis for various crimes. In New York, we had Alan Hevesy. Uh, we had Sheldon Silver. Uh, in, um, you know, in Illinois, who could, of course, forget the case of Rod Blagojevich? In New Jersey, you had the case of uh, Sharp James. And whatever anybody feels about any of these individual persecu- uh, prosecutions, 
this is something, the issue of political corruption is very much a bipartisan problem, in my view. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. That's 800-848-9222. Coming up in a bit, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, uh, the Queen of England. And then uh, it's Fashion Week coming up in New York. I don't know anything about Fashion Week. I've never been to any of these Fashion Week events. But uh, there's always a lot of good parties. So it's uh, always an interesting an interesting thing that uh, that we get to experience kind of the the ripple effect of that. So we're, when we get one of the first I have this rule set of rules that I live by. And one of them is I call it collectively the Murano method. And one of them is that if you have an opportunity to have a model in studio because she's in town for fashion week, you do it. So that's what we'll do with St. Nicole coming up in about 10 minutes. That'll be uh, a lot of fun. Uh, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. That's 800-848-9222. I did want to play this for you. This was interesting. Uh, maybe you heard about this. And uh, I'd really much ra- I'm actually kind of surprised that we are getting so little reaction to the question of should you be able to be charged in both state court and federal court for the same crime. I figured there would be people advocating passionately for this same thing. So um, I did want to comment on the issue of uh, Chris Cuomo. Chris Cuomo is, uh, I think, I hate you throwing the term disgraced in front of anybody, but he's described by the New York Post as a disgraced CNN anchor. And on an episode of his podcast on Thursday... He revealed the following, and I empathize with this. I thought I thought this could have been me speaking, uh, albeit maybe a little bit less arrogantly. He said that he drinks too much, but that he's not an alcoholic. And it was a, an interesting discussion and a frank discussion, pardon the pun, about mental health. Uh, this was on his podcast yesterday. This was uh, Chris Cuomo. You know, all pain is personal, and everybody's journey matters, and all of us Uh, are trying to deal with things. And too often, I think we avoid dealing with things. So here's a little bit of of my story. I take my my body uh, and my diet can suck. I drink too much. I'm thinking about that, mostly in terms of why I drink too much. And I'm probably what people in the sobriety community would call a normie, but a hard drinker. (laughs) I drink... Um, often, and I definitely think it's not always for the right reason. I think it's to settle my mind. I think it's to deal with emotions. And I'm not saying I'm an alcoholic. I don't believe in abusing those terms. But it's something I've had to think about, and it's something that I am thinking about, and it's something that I'm dealing with because my mental health has become an increasing aspect of my self-concern about how I can be my best. Here's my um, point. If you listen to what he says there, I mean, basically he says when he's seeking an explanation for why he drinks too much, he's talking about, um, and while, you know, by the way, I am not a fan of Chris Cuomo on uh, radio or television. I don't think he was you know, much of a great news personality or commentator or whatever he was trying to be. But I, I don't want him to be 
uh, unhealthy or, you know, I want him to be, you know, ha- have a very healthy lifestyle and no alcoholism or anything like that. So I don't want it to come across like I'm rooting for him to be an alcoholic. But when you hear him say that I'm thinking about why I drink too much and he uses it as sort of a, a coping mechanism or to settle my mind or as a way to deal with emotions. I mean, that sounds pretty, I don't want to use the term dangerous, but that sounds like almost the definition of why alcoholics drink. If you ask me why I drink, I would never ever in a million years tell you it's to settle my mind and it's to deal with emotions and to use it as a coping mechanism. I think a chemical dependence on anything, including and especially alcohol, when you're feeling, when you're trying to deal with emotions, that's danger territory. That to me would be a red flag if I ever said, wow, you know, I'm, I'm really depressed. Let me have a drink. I drink because it's fun and because, you know, there's a social aspect of drinking, which I really enjoy. And because a lot of the things that I drink tend to uh, tend to taste good. And, uh, you know, because I enjoy the process. But when I have to, when I give up drinking during Lent for 40 days, I don't think twice about it. I'm not sitting around pining for alcohol. But never would I ever say that I'm drinking to cope with something. Um, And I'm curious if you think that that potentially is the description of a problem drinker. I, I sort of do. When I saw Cuomo said that, I thought about the absurd rant that uh, Chris Cuomo went on, I believe it was out on Long Island, where he met somebody that called him Fredo. And I said at the time that no sober person reacts this way. Do you want to know what, the list, what people say about me from time to time and to me from time to time? You don't usually react that way unless you're three sheets to the wind. And... Hearing Cuomo's description about how often he drinks and why he drinks, it caused me to look through, look at this rant in a totally different light. I thought, that, I thought, I thought that's who you were. No, punk-ass bitches from the right call me Fredo. My name is Chris Cuomo. I'm an anchor on CNN. Oh, you're much- Fredo is from the Godfather. He was a weak brother. Isn't that your And they use it as an Italian aspersion. Any of you Italian? Oh, Are you Italian? I got, I got a it's bit. a insult to your people. It's an insult to your people. It's like the N-word for us. Wow. Is, that, is that a cool thing? You're a much more reasonable guy in person than you seem to be on television. Yeah, but if you want to play, then we'll play. If you've got something you want to say about what I do on television, then say it. But don't be the fault of Hey, listen. What? I don't want any problems. Yeah, you're going to have a big problem. What's the problem? It's a little different on TV. Don't insult me like that. I didn't insult you. You call me Fredo. It's like I call you punk bitch. You like that? You want to give me your nickname? I didn't call you that. You call me Fredo. You know my name now. Take a swing. Come on, come on, boy. So you want to call me? Call me? Hey, listen, I'm not doing anything. 
wreck your stop. I'll wreck your stop. You didn't know what you were doing. I thought it was your name. I thought it was your name. You didn't know, right? You didn't know what you were saying, right? I thought it was his name. I'm breaking it up. This is my buddy. Hey, hey, look at all these cameras. You're in for it. You're in for it. I'm in for what? You're in for it. You're in for it. You call me free. Now, no sober person behaves that way. It's cl- it was clear to me at the time that Chris Cuomo was absolutely plastered. Absolutely plastered. And uh, seeing this admission that he drinks too much and he uses it at- to settle his mind and deal with emotions, I think he is an alcoholic. And when he says, I'm not saying I'm an alcoholic, I don't believe in abusing those terms. But it's something I've had to think about and it's something that I am thinking about and it's something that I'm dealing with because my mental health has become an increasing aspect of my self-concern about how I can be my best. I really believe – this is Chris Cuomo speaking. I really believe that you know where your head is, where your life goes. I would say if I was Chris Cuomo's friend or a family member – You've got a real problem. And I don't know how that video, which was plastered all over the place, was not a the biggest wake-up call in the world for him. And I remember um, when David Hasselhoff was a problem drinker, and I don't know what his status in terms of sobriety is now, but when David Hasselhoff was a problem drinker, his daughter videotaped him eating a hamburger on the floor. And basically, the basically, she said she was going to show this to him when he was sober so that he could see what a mess he was. And um, look, everybody drinks from the wrong bottle sometimes. And everybody gets to the point where they're being a mess. But I don't know that how you could see that and recognize, be self-aware enough to think that um, you are drinking to cope with emotions. And then not recognize that you've got a real problem. Um, so that's that. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. That's life. A, a friend of mine who is a frequent drinking companion, he just sent me an SMS text message. He said, you and I drink to create great memories like waking up in my car and stealing my car, which apparently I did do on one occasion long ago. So uh, that was a very... You've got a problem. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I wish Chris Cuomo the best, sincerely. Not necessarily... drinking and going to... uh, Not necessarily in uh, media, but in life. I uh, I don't want anybody to struggle. It sounds like he's really battling some issues. All right. 800-848-9222. St. Nicole is here. I'm told she's in a taxi on the way. So that'll give us some more time to chat about uh, whatever any of the subjects that we've covered, including, by the way, I want to thank Malachi McCord. I I was supposed to try and go see Malachi today. But he's instead, uh, he's got other plans. He's got a, I don't know where he's going, but he's got something else to do. So I'm not going to see him today. But he was very complimentary uh, on his own radio show on uh, WBAI with his co-host, John McDonough, who's also been a guest on this show from uh, from time to time. And uh, given that most of the clips that we play of other hosts talking about me is them bashing me, it is nice to hear somebody say something positive from time to time. Here was Malachi McCord on uh, WBAI. He's, a, he's, he's very good 
in the sense Very. that, uh, that Frank Morano is he's well read. Well read. Uh, he's not prejudiced, not he, prejudiced. Uh, in any way, shape, or form. Anyway, I don't know whether he uh, whether to get the job he had to say he loved Trump or something like that. But I I can't imagine that uh, he, being a good broadcaster, needed any kind of uh, qualifications except to be a good man at the microphone. And he is, and he's he's extremely courteous, and uh, he has a nice sense of humor, and he doesn't, uh, he, 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 he does not jump in and interrupt you or to show how much he knows. He lets you express yourself. And I, of course, I go off at tangents and so on, but, and I try and course and keep it. And I'm aware of uh, obscenity and so on, that you can't say due to the FCC and so on. So anyway, it was a very pleasant time. I was on for quite a long time, so I'll see how it goes. So that was very nice. I appreciated the uh, the compliment. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Xavier is in Manhattan. Hello, Xavier. Frank, how you been, bro? Great. I got a new bourbon for you. Jefferson by the sea. I think I've tried that. Maybe I haven't tried that. Okay. All right. Sounds good. I'll check well, it out. Well, my brother was very happy to see you. But my comment is about Chris Cuomo and his so-called mental issues. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, that's an excuse when you get put back in your position. When the Cuomos were riding high and they were pointing their fingers in our faces and telling us everything we were doing wrong, they were the kings of the world. But as soon as the crowd tumbles and you fumble and you fall, now you're grasping for mental health, I'm an alcoholic, my mother didn't like me, I was abused by a priest. Hey, people drink for one reason. You know what the reason is? They like it. Well, some people are uh, have you you would agree, agree uh, a problem with you know alcoholism, right? They're just compelled; they can't help themselves, right? I, but that absolutely. But when you got when those guys were making when the uh, when the uh, thug in charge was making uh, five million dollars to have his people write their own book, and this guy was making three, four, five million dollars, whatever he was making on a TV show that never, nobody watched. You didn't hear about those problems You know, that's before. a great point. And I just got an SMS. Thank you, Xavier. And I just got an SMS text message from a friend of mine. Uh, by the way, Xavier is the proprietor of Billy Marks West in Manhattan. It's a real old school dive bar. If you want to go into a time warp and go into a bar that's straight out of the 1970s, that is the last one left in Midtown, I think. It's the last one that I'm aware of. I try to keep a list of old school places, and that is as old school as they come. Billy Marks West. It's uh, not far from Madison Square Garden. Great place. But um, a friend of mine sent me a message that said something similar about, meanwhile, I, Chris Cuomo wasn't talking about his problems with alcoholism while he was on top of the world. And this is what my friend sent me. He should stop sucking Instead of making excuses for his sucking, he's a weak talent. He's already making pre-excuses for his lousy ratings to come. So I think that was uh, I think that was kind of similar to the point that uh, that uh, Xavier was making. All right, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. We have Saint Nicole coming up. She got dropped off on a uh, a wrong 
block somewhere. We'll try and get a hold of her. If not, we've got plenty of other things to do. Coming up next hour, we got denunciations. We have uh, Peter Feynman and a lot of other fun that we're going to have throughout the course of the next couple of hours. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Chainsmokers. That was that uh, controversial band that had that non-COVID safe concert on Long Island, right? In the Hamptons? Is that them? I think that's them. Yeah. Um, they. I think they got briefly canceled. And then when everybody realized how absurd all these COVID restrictions were, they were uh, they were uncanceled. Uh, by the way, want to encourage you, if you would like to comment on this show itself, Join our Facebook group. Um, the, the just go on Facebook and type Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M O R A N O Radio Fans and Haters. Or you can go to facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. And it's interesting. I try, I try not to exercise any censorship at all because I hate it when the big tech companies do it. Right. So who am I to say? All right, this person should post this. This person should post that. But. Then I had to institute a, an approval process because people were posting all sorts of stuff that wasn't relevant to the show. And I would, um, you know, people join this Facebook group because they want to participate in conversations about the show. So I would do that. Then people would start saying all sorts of nasty stuff about my colleagues. And the thing that you need to know about radio people is most of them are the most insecure, jealous people in the world, right? So all someone needs to do is see that someone on my Facebook group is bashing them, and then immediately I have now made an enemy of of a colleague, which I do not want to do. I like to get along with with everybody. So um, I like to get along with everybody, and... When they say, all these people, all your fans don't like me, that's a problem, right? So I instituted another rule saying, please don't bash the other hosts. Then 
people would get into these debates with one another and it would get very heated. And I would say, what are you guys arguing about? And they'd get beyond arguing. It would turn to personal insults. And then I had to add another rule that says, please be kind and courteous. Now, I'm sorry that I had to do that. So anyway, anything that's even somewhat related to the show, I allow on there. So somebody, including criticism of me. And we made uh, Matt Blaze a, uh, a moderator on there now. So we'll see if that improves the quality of the Facebook group at all. Did you notice that, that I made you a, a moderator in the Facebook yeah, group? Yeah, oh, I had to accept it. Yeah, so and, and I, you accepted and I, I did accept it. Big and responsibility. I, I see. And believe me, half the stuff that's on there, I will not let on there. Yeah, but um, so anyway, somebody posts something on there about, hey, I really like listening to Frank, but uh, I don't listen to XYZ show anymore. Okay. and. It leads into this whole lengthy discussion about various other shows, and someone makes a remark about Bernard McGurk's health, and a very, I think, insensitive remark, given the fact that, you know, Bernie's friends and family all check this Facebook group and read it, and um, someone emailed me asking about um, deleting it because it could be hurtful. Now, it's not an overtly insulting thing. It's just something that could be unintentionally. It's callous. I think is the best description for it, but I wish, you know, Jerry, Jerry Springer for all the criticism of him patronizing prostitutes and doing trash television and uh, being on the liberal end of the political spectrum. I really like Jerry Springer. I didn't love his show, but I like him. And one of the things that he would do at the end of his show, I don't know that he does this now that he does the judge show. In fact, we're probably are overdue for a conversation with him because he's an interesting person to talk to. But one of the things that he used to do at the end of his show is he would always say the words, be good, be good to yourselves and each other. And I thought that was such a nice thing. And unfortunately, I think it's something that a lot of the people in the Facebook group need to learn. So I'm not going to delete this. But I would just ask, please, just be nice to each other. I, I, be nice to others. I, I don't understand why this one axiom, which most of us learned in kindergarten, is so difficult for so many to adults to adhere to in the world of social media. Immediately, you turn to this and that. I mean, just chill out a little bit. Chill out. That's all I'm asking. Uh, but if you want to participate in the Facebook group, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. The, ma- the majority of the arguments on the Facebook group is, did you hear what Curtis said about Frank? Right, right, right. Frank doesn't care. How many times do we have this Frank have to say he doesn't care? Back and forth every week. That is the most uh, written about threat is, I, I think, is that. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, and it's kind of all been done before. There's no need to keep repeating the same, uh, the same arguments. All right, uh, St. Nicole is here. I have a lot of other stuff I want to get to. Oh, by the way, um, Tunnel to Towers race, September 25th. I could really use your help with that. If you haven't already done so, please go to walk.othersideofmidnightshow.com. Click on my picture, make a donation, and uh, we'll help some uh, needy people. I can't think of a better weekend to do it. More on that a little bit later. St. Nicole is here. We'll chat with her about her new single and a bunch of other things, Fashion Week, a bunch of other things. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, very pleased, uh, as I am every fashion week, uh, to be joined in studio by the very talented actress, model, and recording artist, uh, St. Nicole. She has a new song out, which we're going to tell you about in a little while. We're going to pick her brain on a wide variety of subjects related to fashion. Nicole, it is great to see you again. So good to see you. And Now, remind folks... Uh, how does one get the moniker of Saint Nicole? Do you have to be very religious, get approved by the Pope or something? How does that work? I just kind of chose it. You chose it. Okay, all right. Well, good, right? I guess maybe it encourages you to do saintly things. It does, yes. Yeah. Um, so you're in town for Fashion Week? Yes. For folks listening around the country, right, And they always hear about Fashion Week, and I know it's a big boon to the New York City economy. What is Fashion Week? Is it just a bunch of fashion shows? Basically, yeah. Well, it's showcasing um, their art. Okay. Their designs. And so the you're walking in one of these shows. Yes. All right. And now these things, are they usually just open to the public or is it open just to a select group of fashion VIPs? Depends on the, the designer, but usually fashion VIPs um, or like guest list of the models. Gotcha. And so what are you doing? Is your event open to the public or is it just the fashion VIP? No, it's fashion VIP and my personal guest list. Gotcha. Okay. Um, it is interesting. I know everybody has been has been talking about this new single that you have. We're going to let uh, people hear a little bit of it in a second. Um, in fact, w- tell us about this. What is this song called? Allie. Allie? Yeah. A-L-L-E-Y? A-L-L-I. A-L-L-I. Okay. All right. Um, and um, you, um, you've you gotten a lot of attention with this song already. I know uh, people that listen on the streaming charts all over. It's been it's been very big. And uh, let's let's hear a little bit of Allie. I didn't want to say it. It's no use. You was with it. Can't believe it This is a, only a preview. I think it's kind of cool. How do people get this if they want to listen to it? On Spotify or Apple Music. So they search St. Nicole or they search Allie and they'll get it? Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, okay. Correct. Now, you are not just a recording artist but a model. Um, I know that so much of the music industry these days is dominated by streaming. It's not like you go to the record store, you tell people I like rock and roll or I like death metal or w- what genre is Alley for instance? How would you characterize oh, that? God, it's hard to it's hard to place it into one genre, but um when I put it on platforms I generalize it as pop and then I put new age because a lot of the new age music is a blend of a lot of genres put together. My music is kind of like dark pop mixed with like EDM, mixed with like, you know, a little bit of like new age. So it's hard to explain. It's kind of like a blend. And what's Allie about? My best friend. She passed away. Oh, so sorry. It's about my my best friend. Yeah. And so, what's the target audience? Anybody that likes kind of new age music, or anybody that might be dealing with a loss of a yeah, friend or a loved exactly. one? Exactly. This song can relate to anyone that's ever lost anyone in their life. All right. Um, what I was going to say before is the there's a lot of pressure these days towards and it's the same in radio, too. Uh, there's a lot of pressure to have people download your songs. And it's not like the old days where you go to a record store, you say, I like new age. And they say, oh, there's the new age section. There's this new artist you should try. Do you find that, um, that you have to use modeling to gin up social media followers so that then those folks then download your songs and so forth 
a little bit, but it's not just modeling. It's also comedy. Um, it's also just like everything t- ties into it. Modeling, comedy, just being good at music in general. Yeah. Well, see, music is such a subjective thing. It just I just wonder, you know, we hear so many complaints from journalists about the pressure for clicks on stories and it leads them and it leads a lot of very good journalists, I think, to kind of become jerks on Twitter where they feel the need to, you know, tweet commentary that's witty or that's interesting just so they get a larger Twitter following so that their articles get more clicks. And I'm just wondering, I mean, obviously, as a model, you know, you you have the ability to post a lot of photos that like uh uh, a certain like a Neil Diamond probably couldn't post and people aren't going to be sharing his photographs on social media like they would yours. And I'm wondering if there's pressure to use modeling to up the ante when it comes to clicks on music. It doesn't sound um, like you think there is. Though. I wouldn't say pressure. I would say that as a female, I definitely have an advantage. Gotcha. But I mean, I have a lot of respect for the males that are, you know, killing it right now in the music industry because they don't have that one up. Who do you like? Who are your favorite artists? The Weeknd is one of my favorite artists. Yeah, we right played now. him yesterday. Very popular. He's he, so good. His Super Bowl performance was kind of uh, greeted lukewarmly, though, two years ago. What did you think? I mean, the thing is that all of his sets are live. Mm. So and if you're lip syncing. He's so talented. I mean, like, all of his sets are completely live, 100%. I mean, I just saw him at Coachella. So, I mean, like, even if you, you know, messed up a little bit. It's all live. Gotcha. So, gotcha. respect. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I like a lot of his music. Now, um, TMZ is one of the biggest media outlets in the entire world. Not in the country, but in the entire world. They um, featured you recently on TMZ. What did you get featured on TMZ for? I was on the beach, and uh, this photographer just came up to me and started shooting me. And at first, I was like a little bit taken aback, but... I just kind of went with it, and uh, he ended up being a TMZ photographer. <laughs> it's kind of so, cool. And so they posted you on uh, on TMZ, and what kind of impact did that have on your, you know, either social media following or the downloads of the song? Well, it was a very positive impact. Um, I started getting a lot of random press articles from uh, people that I don't know writing about me, and it's kind of interesting because a lot of the articles have like false information but it's kind of interesting because i mean some of them are saying good things but it's like not true stuff <laughs> oh well so as long as the false information is positive that's uh, i guess uh that inures to your benefit what's an example of some of the false information that's well been it's interesting because they put the correct birth year because i'm born november 24th 1995 but they put that i was turning 28 in 2021 which is like not true at all because I'm actually I'm 26 right now and it's 2022 so I was actually 25 in 2021. Does it bother you that you are now too old to date Leonardo DiCaprio (laughs) because he apparently has a cap at 25? No way um I mean like it doesn't bother me in particularly but um I don't know I mean like I'm 26 so I just that they get the right year. Yeah, well, that, fair enough. <laughs> um, if people are just tuning in, with we're, we're talking with St. Nicole. Uh, she has a new single, which is just out this week, and it's called Alley. It's available on Spotify. Uh, you could search St. Nicole. It's N-I-K-O-L-E. Uh, or you could search Alley, A-L-L-I. Uh, and you can also find uh, St. Nicole on Instagram. And uh, there's a lot of very creative photographs on there. Same spelling, N-I-K-O-L-E. 
E, um, I appreciate you. You have like 350,000 followers. I appreciate you sharing at, that you're going to be on this show with your substantial social media following. You're so welcome. Well, if you have any advice on, uh, I don't think I would look as good in some of these, you know, uh, uh, bathing suits that you're photographed in. But if you have any advice on generating 50, 350,000 followers on social media, I am absolutely all ears. So <laughs> let me know. Hey, I want to get your opinion as a music critic. Um, our producer, Alex Barnard, has a new single out. It's out as of Friday. And it's called uh, Live Stream Crimes, right? Live Stream Crimes. And um, it's about live streaming on social media, mass shootings and things like that. So it's a little bit of a depressing subject, but oh, wow. I, we, we, I'm going to play you 30, 40 seconds of it. Throw on your headphones there if you would. Okay. And I want to get your honest assessment of this song, Live Streamed Crimes. What's your honest review of live streamed crimes? Wait, is this song about a school shooter? Uh, not necessarily school, but I think just mass shootings in general that's being streamed live on social wow. media. Well, I don't condone that. Well, it, well yeah, neither, did, neither did he. He made clear after the Memphis shooting where it, it, a lot of people were trying to blame him and this song for motivating this shooter to do what he did. I don't. Th- I think that's a fair. And he came out right away and denounced the uh, the crime. But... As a song itself, what did, what did you think? Not your thing? Um, yeah. I mean, like, it kind of reminds me of corn. Corn, okay. I yeah. can see that. Not the vegetable, but the... the or band. not the grain, yeah. but the grain. <laughs> the, but the uh, but the band. Um, all right. Uh, St. Nicole is in town, and uh, she's walking in a Fashion Week show this Sunday. That one is private, though, you said. Not open to the public, right? Yes, or is it? Okay. And uh, are you? do you like Fashion Week? Yeah. I love fashion. And uh, do you get to go to a lot of the good Fashion Week parties? Uh, yeah, I was invited to one tonight, but I ended up just ended up going to the box with my friends. Now, what's the box? I've heard about that. It's a sex burlesque club. Oh, a sex burlesque club. Yeah. I see. I've only heard about it. Never been there, um, especially if my wife's listening. But um, uh, no, we, we. What do you do there? Um, observe. You it's observe. Kind of interesting, because um, I guess like this one fashion icon took a crap on stage. You kidding? Tonight. Which yeah. which fashion icon was it? It was Ralph oh, Lauren. Her name was it? like Anna or something. Anna, Hannah, Hannah. I don't even know. Was this because there was a long line at the bathroom, or because it's <laughs> some sort of artistic expression? I guess it was an artistic expression. Oh my! I was wondering how much she's getting paid. I am crossing <laughs> that place right <laughs> off Apparently my list of places to visit. Apparently, it was real too. My. Goodness. It was insane. I got to think there's a lot of pressure to perform on a stage she like that. She must be getting paid a lot. I, I, I would hope so. <laughs> I hope so, I too. would hope the maintenance staff is getting paid even more than she is. <laughs> hey, uh, Nicole, it is always a treat to see you. you got to let us know the next time you're in town. Uh, people should follow you on Instagram, and they should uh, absolutely check out this song, Allie, A-L-L-I. Uh, it is definitely worth checking out. Uh, just search St. Nicole. It's good to see you. We'll talk again soon. Yeah, good to see you.
All right. Uh, if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can do so. 800-848-9222. Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I have been on a lifelong mission as you could tell from my exclusive interview with St. Nicole just moments ago, I have been on a lifelong mission towards civic education and improving civic engagement in this country. Peter Feynman is going to join us in about 20 minutes, and he's doing some similar work. He's the founder and president of the Institute of History, Archaeology, and Education. It's a nonprofit that does a lot of great things. But he caught my attention last week. Because he wrote that one of the great lessons of the year 2022 is why, essentially why open primaries work. Now, I happen to be in favor of open primaries. I wish um, New York would allow me as an independent voter to vote in a primary that I'm paying the bills as a taxpayer for. But um, And when I was in the leadership of the Independence Party and the Reform Party, we... We opened our primaries to independent voters, to unaffiliated voters. But in my view, and I'm going to ask Peter about this coming up in about 20 minutes. In my view, 2022 actually makes the case against open primaries. Because what are we seeing? We're seeing a bunch of uh, Democrats voting in Republican primaries for the least electable Republican. And the most radical challenger. And, I mean, if you're an opponent of open primaries, you need only point to all the instances where Democrats have cre- have selected the craziest possible Republican to run in the general election. Um, so we're going to get into that in about 20 minutes. I'm very much looking forward to that. But. As we do each and every Friday morning, it is time for us to call out those that need a little calling out. It is time once again for... The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciation. I am not going to name this person, but uh, I do want to denounce the mass stabber out of Saskatchewan in uh, Canada. Now, I recognize that uh, this is a broader problem. And uh, I don't think anybody was trying to tie Alex Barnard to this particular incident because it wasn't live streamed on social media. But they had this mass stabbing in Canada and the suspect died after going into uh, medical distress. I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want anybody that's teetering on the edge of a mental breakdown to think, oh, at least posthumously I can be made a celebrity by having the number one overnight radio show in America or at least in New York City mention me. And so I'm not going to mention his name, but I absolutely must denounce the individual responsible for this mass stabbing. The deaths of 10 innocent people stabbed by this lunatic. Really just terrible. I must also denounce a gentleman. This is in Japan. 
A gentleman by the name of Atsuyoshi Kono, who has been arrested for stalking. Listen to what this guy did, okay? This guy is very determined to stalk his victim here. Listen to what this guy did. He mailed his female target a GPS tracker to find her new home address. Now, what do you you think to yourself, well, what do you mean? Well, how could he mail it to her if he didn't know her home address? He sent it to her old address. And with mail forwarding, it got forwarded to her new address. Now, this is got to be a wake-up call for all domestic violence advocates and for all victims advocates in general. This is a really clever way. I'm not trying to give anybody any ideas here. If you're trying to find out where someone lives and you don't know where they've moved to, you send them a piece of mail to their old address, and in this case with the GPS tracker in it, I mean, this is a very interesting way to uh, find out where someone lives. So uh, this person... Um, has been arrested for stalking, and I, I hope they throw the book at him. He strikes me as a first-class creep. So, Mr. Oh, sorry, I jumped the gun here on rotating my articles. Mr. Atsuyoshi Kono, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service. Now, I am not one of these guys that thinks that we're slaves because we pay taxes. I recognize that taxes are the price that we pay for living in a society, an organized society. That being said, I don't think it's too much to ask that if you are a law-abiding, tax-paying citizen, that your personal private data not be plastered all over the Internet for every con man, grifter, and hacker to steal. And yet, thanks to the IRS, 120,000 taxpayers had their data compromised. Information from thousands of taxpayers was compromised because the IRS mistakenly exposed their data. The IRS stated that the objectionable data has been removed and they will send notifications to affected taxpayers in the coming weeks. Oh, what what good does that do you? If they stole your Social Security number, if they stole your bank account number and any of this other information that nefarious actors shouldn't be having? Sorry, that doesn't cut it. IRS, I do denounce you. I must also denounce... The only TV station that I watch literally every day. You might think, why am I denouncing it? I talked about this a little bit on another radio program the other day. But I must vociferously denounce Spectrum News New York One. Um, If you're not familiar with this, maybe you have a similar outlet in your town because now they have multiplied this concept in other jurisdictions. But New York One is a great channel. It's my favorite channel, and it has been for years. It is a 24-hour 
news network. It's wonderful. It's great programming, especially if you're interested in local government, if you're interested in politics, if you're interested in knowing what's going on locally. It is, the other than this radio station, the best source for knowing what's going on. And the man that built that station into what it is today is Dominic Carter. And for close to 20 years, he was the most visible presence on that station. He anchored every debate. He anchored their marquee show, Inside City Hall, which not only featured great segments that were entertaining, like uh, Herson Barrero battling Curtis Lewa, but it featured very substantive, informative segments, like The Wise Guys with Ed Koch, Al D'Amato, and Mark Green. I learned more about politics listening to those three, as moderated by Dominic Carter, than I did in college. And that's not an exaggeration. He would have me on that show from time to time. But Dominic Carter saw this city through some of the most tragic moments in its history from the anchor chair on Inside City Hall. 9-11, the first World Trade Center bombing, the blackout of 2003, a number of other instances where New York, the transit strike of 2005, a number, mayoral election after mayoral election, there... New Yorkers were better informed and better served as news consumers because of New York One. So why are we talking about this? Because this month, New York One is celebrating its 30th anniversary. And every day I watch it, and they have a different special, they have a different little featurette, a different segment on their marquee show, Inside City Hall, which Dominic Carter anchored for many years, celebrating... The last 30 years of New York won. The great things they've covered, the great things they've done. And you know who is omitted from every single bit of coverage? Not even mentioned once. Dominic Carter. Now, I know Dominic Carter had sort of an unceremonious end to his tenure at New York One. But as far as I'm concerned, legally and in the court of public opinion, he's absolutely been vindicated. And yet, New York One acts like the 20 years that he spent there did not exist. And it's nonsense. It is absolute nonsense. Dominic Carter is a great journalist and a great guy. And more so than that, he built that network and made it into what it is today. And for them to pretend that his contributions there didn't exist. And it's funny, if you watch these little featurettes that they do, they cut him out of debates that he moderated And it leads to very awkward editing. It's like they go out of their way to not show him. What do they think is going to happen if they accidentally show a glimpse of Dominic Carter's face? Are people going to start rioting and throwing things at the television? It's the stupidest thing in the world. And it's done purely for spite. It reminds me, it's almost Stalinist. It reminds me of what they used to do in the old Soviet Union. You'd fall out of favor with the old Soviet Politburo, the Communist Politburo. And not only do you get exiled, but they erase you from all the existing pictures. And that's what we're seeing at New York One. New York One and its management ought to be absolutely ashamed of themselves. Absolutely ashamed of themselves. And if I ever have an opportunity to speak with anybody personally at New York One um, that's in an editorial position, I will absolutely be raising this objection. Because for them to 
celebrate the 30th anniversary at New York One without a mention of Dominic Carter, that would be like celebrating the 100th anniversary of WABC without mentioning Bob Grant and Rush Limbaugh and Dan Ingram. It's just impossible. It's absolutely impossible to do. And yet New York One is doing it, and it's, it's really shameful. So New York One, I do denounce you. I also want to denounce Fat Leonard. Fat Leonard is the uh, the better the nickname for Leonard Glenn Francis, a contractor who is at the center of a Navy bribery scandal, and <laughs> he was less than three weeks away from his sentencing date when he cut off his GPS anklet and left his home in San Diego. We don't know where this guy is now. But he has fled house arrest. He's at large. He cut off his GPS. And you know what I hate about this? It's not only the fact that he's refusing to take responsibility for his crimes or go through the proper appellate channels. What I hate about this is because of Fat Leonard's actions here, it's going to make it more difficult for the next guy to get house arrest. Now, if I'm ever charged with a crime while I'm awaiting sentencing, I want house arrest. I want house arrest with a GPS monitor, and I should have it, in my view. I don't, again, I don't know what hypothetical crime I'm convicted of, but it'll be something that's relatively relatively harmless. So um, now people are going to look at this and say, well, Fat Leonard didn't abide by the terms of his house arrest. Why should we give it to this guy? So Fat Leonard, I do denounce you. I don't know the name of this person. No one does. But I want to denounce the person driving in Wheat Ridge, Colorado, who was speeding and going 68 miles per hour over the speed limit on Interstate 70 Sunday morning. The Wheat Ridge Police Department in the state of Colorado said this is a new record for this particular police officer who clocked the driver going 133 miles per hour on the eastbound lanes of I-70. This is, as one police officer said, this is terrifying. Now, they couldn't even catch this guy because he was going so fast. Where could you be going at 133 miles per hour? Where do you need to be? Where do you need to be? And the fact that what you could be doing in terms of damage, not only to yourself, but the lives and the property of other drivers and other pedestrians. Well, not that there are a lot of pedestrians on an interstate, but other drivers on the road is shocking. So I hope they find this guy. I don't know if they got his license plate or something, but uh, they couldn't catch him. Uh, This is an incredibly dangerous driver. I hope they share they share the vehicle information widely with multiple law enforcement agencies, and I hope they catch this guy. But until then, Speed Demon in Wheat Ridge, Colorado, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the uh, uh, city of Dover, Delaware. Dover, Delaware. And um, according to a new survey from Smart Asset, Smart Asset recently ranked the best and worst state capitals to live in. They reviewed employment, education, affordability, leisure, safety. And they ranked all 50 state capitals. And the very worst state capital to live in 
based on those criteria is, well, actually, um, yeah, is Dover, Delaware. Dover, Delaware is the worst state capital. Um, So there's that. Last year's worst-ranked capital was Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which climbed to number 49 this year. So they're improving, at least. If you're curious about the best state capital... Pierre, South Dakota. Can you imagine that? I'll be honest. If you ask me that question in the $1,000 minute of what's the state capital of South Dakota, I know I knew it when I was in the fourth grade and the fifth grade. I would not have remembered that. Pierre, South Dakota. You don't hear a lot about Pierre. But uh, Dover, Delaware, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Chicago Midway International Airport. According to Flight Aware... This has been a rough, rough summer for flight delays. I was at my dad's last weekend, last Saturday, and I was listening to both of my brothers and my sister and my sister-in-law describe to me their horror stories of flying back from Florida. And the stories they would te- they told me would curl your hair. My sister might come in here, uh, she said, she th- has, is threatening to come in here uh, one one day that she's off, and she'll share some of these horror stories because she's a good storyteller. And uh, now that uh, she is also, I think, too old to date Leonardo DiCaprio, she really has nothing to do with this time of night, so she figured why not come in here. But uh, they found that Chicago Midway International Airport is the worst, was for the summer anyway, the worst airport for flight delays in the entire country. Can you imagine that? Worst airport for flight delays in the whole country. Well, uh, Chicago Midway International Airport, I do denounce you. I also must denounce, and I hate to do this because I'm a big supporter of the police, and I know they have a tough job, and I don't like to be one of those people that uh, second guesses the job that police do, but I must hear. I must denounce officers Dion Holiday and Kevin Christman of Maryland, Montgomery County Police Department. Newly released records show two police officers were suspended without pay after berating a five-year-old boy who had walked away from his elementary school, calling him, these are the cops, I want you to understand, calling him, quote, a shepherd of the devil and threatening him with a beating. Uh, By the way, these people are not just rude police officers. These are people that have cost the taxpayers of Montgomery County $275,000 because that is what the district has paid out in a settlement. So, officers Dion Holliday and Kevin Chrisman were seen holding down this crying child to a chair and shouting abuse such as, quote, I hope your mama let me beat you. And this is all captured on body camera footage. One of the officers pulled out his handcuffs. I want to reiterate that this boy is five years old that they're doing this to. One of the officers pulled out his handcuffs and closed one of the loops around the child's right wrist. When you get all captured on video, when you get older, when you want to make your own decisions, you know what's going to be your best friend? These right here. 
You know what these are? These are handcuffs. You know what they're for? You know what these are for? These are for people that don't want to listen and don't know how to act. So Holiday was suspended for four weeks and Chrisman was suspended for two after an internal investigation. Um, that money, that $275,000, is going to be deposited into a trust fund that the child will have access to once he is 18. The officers defended their actions for what it's worth. And Chrisman said, I really do think that my actions were appropriate at the time about holding the child in a chair for 80 seconds. Holiday acknowledged she berated and screamed at the child and admitted she called him a shepherd for the devil, but also said that's how he was acting. That's her defense. Well, he really was a shepherd of the devil. So the more I learn about this incident, the, and again, I'm a pro-cop guy, the more I learn about this incident, the more objectionable I find the behavior of these two police officers. January 14th, 2020, this boy gets upset in his kindergarten class. He throws a clipboard at a fellow student and a teacher, and he flees the school. Now, it's not right that he did that. Unfortunately, this is what five-year-olds do. Officers found the boy about one block from the school. Chrisman grabbed the boy's left arm and pulled him towards other officers and police vehicles, prompting the child to cry out, No, and I don't want to go. Officer Chrisman justified his behavior by saying the child seemed defiant and headstrong about not wanting to return to school. The officers told him... You don't make that decision for yourself and brought him back to the school in a patrol car where they were met by a school administrator. The video shows an officer forcing the crying child onto a chair at the principal's office. Shut that noise up now. I hope your mama let me beat you. Five years old. Um, they, uh, the, the police department said... And some of the lawyers involved in this case said um, that, well, the lawyers said they were treating this boy as if he were a hardened criminal. And, And they said that the boy was treated way past the point of emotional child abuse. I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that. The uh, police department and the county's public school system declined to address the incident in detail, citing the mother's pending lawsuit. But the school system issued a statement describing the video as extremely difficult to watch. And it is. It is. That's one. um, I thought about posting it so that you could watch it for yourselves. But I find it so, especially as the child of a small boy, uh, I find it so disturbing to watch. And uh, these police officers ought to be ashamed of themselves. Officers Dion Holiday and Kevin Christman, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Bear Aspirin. Well, not specifically Aspirin, but Bear, Bear Corporation. Bear is going to pay $40 million to resolve a kickback allegation. Bear and its related entities are going to pay $40 million to resolve allegations that it violated the False Claims Act. The case stemmed from uh, a whistle, some whistleblower lawsuits filed by a former Bayer employee. And evidently, Bayer, and they're acknowledging this, Bayer paid kickbacks to hospitals and physicians to induce them to utilize certain drugs, Trasolol and Avalax. 
And they also marketed these drugs for off-label uses that were not reasonable and necessary. So Traslalol is a drug used to control bleeding in certain heart surgeries. Avalox is an antibiotic approved to treat certain strains of bacteria. Bayer downplayed the safety risks. And Bayer caused the submission of false claims to the Medicare and Medicaid programs and violated the laws of 40 states. And according to this whistleblower lawsuit, and this whistleblower is now going to get a cool $11 million for blowing the whistle. I say good for her or him. The Bear knew all about but downplayed the dangers of Baycol, the company's statin drug. The drug had risks of causing rhabdomolosis, and Bayer misrepresented the efficacy of this drug when compared to other statins and fraudulently induced the Defense Logistics Agency to renew certain contracts related to this drug. So I find this behavior reprehensible. And you know what? It reinstills what I think most of us already think, which is that these big pharmaceutical companies are trying to rip all all of us off. They don't care what drugs we're taking as long as we're paying them to take them. And they were had no problem participating in a kickback scheme, lying to the public, and lying to public health authorities. Um, penultimately, I must denounce the state of Mississippi. So, back in 2017 and 2018, the state of Mississippi paid quarterback Brett Favre, yes, Brett Favre, from the Packers and the Jets and the movie There's Something About Mary, where he plays Brett Favre. Um, they paid, the state of Mississippi paid Brett Favre $1.1 million to make motivational speakers. Now, you might think, what's wrong with that? These funds, <laughs> this money came out of the funds intended for needy families. And what's worse, no speeches were ever made. And then the state auditor demanded that, I, I guess this could also potentially be a, a, a denunciation of Brett Favre, but the state auditor demanded that Favre pay back the money with interest. Favre repaid the fees, but he hasn't repaid the interest that was demanded. So millions of dollars, millions, in um, essentially money for needy families, they call TANF funds, were spent on first-class air travel, horse ranches, hiring retired pro wrestlers, and a $5 million women's volleyball facility at the University of Southern Mississippi, which, coincidentally... Brett Favre's daughter once attended. Um, They wasted millions of dollars intended for needy families. Wasted it. This is absolutely obscene. Mississippi is the poorest state in the entire country. And it's granted $86 million per year in welfare funds. However, if you're one of these poor people in Mississippi... 90% of those people that apply for welfare are rejected. 
Well, maybe if they weren't spending money on new volleyball facilities, Brett Favre speeches, horse ranches, air travel, first-class air travel, no less, and hiring retired pro wrestlers, maybe they'd have a little bit more money to pay out people that are poor in Mississippi. And finally, this latest study supports what we've seen before in terms of research, but I can't say this enough. This is the most important thing I'm going to say all day. I am going to denounce gum disease because there is yet another study from a peer-reviewed journal, in this case the Journal of the American Geriatric Society. There is yet another study that shows patients with gum disease are 23% more likely to suffer from dementia. Think about that. Bacteria in gum disease can trigger inflammatory responses behind Alzheimer's. This is the most important thing I'm going to say all day. So gum disease, I do denounce you. But the most important thing I'll say all day, and then we're going to get to uh, our guest and talk open primaries with Peter Feynman. The most important thing I'll say all day is you need to floss. You absolutely Uh, You absolutely need to floss because not only is this better for living longer, but if you're going to be alive, you don't want to suffer from dementia. And I've talked about this before. The best thing you could do to prevent gum disease is floss. I am flossing three, four, five times a day. I floss much more often than I brush. And I'll be honest with you, one of the dirty little secrets, what nobody wants to tell you, but I'll tell you because I'm honest with you. Any dentist worth his or her salt will tell you that flossing is more important than brushing. If you're brushing your teeth two times a day and not flossing, you're not doing anything. Floss. 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 Floss because it's good dental hygiene. Floss because it's good for your gums. Floss because it will increase longevity. And floss because it prevents dementia. Peter Feynman uh, will talk open primaries and a whole lot more straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. I have um, long been an advocate of greater civic education in this country. 
And that's one of the many reasons uh, I'm so glad that Peter Feynman is out there doing the work that he's doing. He is the founder and president of the Institute of History, Archaeology, and Education. That's a nonprofit organization which provides enrichment programs for schools, professional development programs for teachers, and public programs of, of all types. Kind enough to get up early and join us on the radio this Friday morning. Peter, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for joining me. Well, thank you for reading my blog, and thank you for inviting me. Certainly. Uh, Peter, tell us a little bit about uh, your organization, the Institute of History, Archaeology, and Education. Well, it's founded uh, more towards bringing teachers to the historic sites here in New York, based on the principle that to teach not just civics, but to teach uh, social studies and history you need to be familiar. You need to actually go to the places, talk to the curators there, walk the landscapes, and get a firsthand experience of of these places. And even if you can't bring your kids there on a field trip, you've at least been there. You've taken your pictures. You've met the curators. You've talked to professors. You've talked to authors, and you've developed contacts. So these are programs I've run, uh, not too many now anymore, unfortunately. It's kind of died out. Uh, in the Hudson Valley, the Capital Region, the Champlain Valley, and the Mohawk Valley. Hmm. Well, no, that's uh, that's great. Yeah. Are you as concerned as I am that um, civic education in this country, not just among children but among adults, really isn't where it needs to be? Well, my father believed that uh, politics was a hands-on sport. And the way to learn about it was just as you would learn about anything in school, whether it was a musical instrument or or playing a sport, is you had to do it. So he began bringing kids to, I grew up in New Rochelle, to the city hall in New Rochelle, where they would run mock uh, meetings of of the uh, city hall council. And he felt if you're going to be a voter at age 18, you need to start learning uh, where it happens, the room where it happens, although that phrase hadn't been invented back then. But you need to learn about that, and uh, you should do that at the local level, the county level, state level, federal level, if you're going to be an active, uh, productive citizen in this country. Well, uh, fair enough. Uh, I really was interested in a column that you wrote uh, a couple of weeks ago about the lessons that we should be learning from the twenty two the twenty twenty two primaries. And one of them is that, according to you, all primaries should be open. Briefly, if you can, uh, Peter, explain to folks what an open primary is and how that's different from a closed primary and why you think the elections this year have made that point that we need open primaries. Well, there are two issues that came to mind when I was writing that, that uh, one, why are we as taxpayers paying for private organizations, which is what a political party is, to select their own nominees. And secondly, related to that, is why are we having plurality candidates instead of majority candidates? So in an open primary, which you have already, Alaska, for example, just had that in the uh, Sarah Palin um, uh, congressional election, and uh, California and some others do. 
in an open primary, instead of you were just being like proprietary, is like you have a credit card for a certain hotel chain or gas station, and remember you could only use it at that hotel or that gas station as opposed to anywhere. Well, an open primary is uh, they don't care about political parties. It's anyone who's a candidate for a given position is eligible to run for that position in this in this election. It's not just the primary. It's the election, too, in November as well. They're related. So instead of having a Republican primary or a Democratic primary, you simply have an open primary where, let's say, as we just had in New York, uh, all the people interested in running for Congress uh, are on the ballot, and anybody can vote for any, regardless of their political party, regardless if they're independent or not, they can then vote and participate. Because independent people, which is a huge percentage of the population, can vote in these proprietary or closed primaries that are limited just to members of that political party. Now, I am very sympathetic uh, to your argument, and the first point that you made about the taxpayers having to foot the bill for these private clubs to have their nomination contest, that's one of the reasons that I've always been for open primaries in uh, New York and wherever else. But just for the sake of of clarity, I just want to make sure we're using uh, the correct terms, because a lot of states do have open primaries, uh, South Carolina, for instance, Michigan. But sometimes we use the terms top uh, open primaries to mean the same thing. We use the term to describe things that aren't open primaries, like in Alaska and Washington. Washington, for instance, has a top two primary. Uh, Alaska has this top four primary. Now, the Supreme Court has defined and political scientists, they've defined open primaries as a system where each party has its own nominees and its own primary ballots, but any voter on primary day is free to choose any party's primary ballot. In Washington uh, and in Alaska, there are no primary ballots um, and, and no party nominees. So it's not quite an open primary, but I get, I get, what, you're, I get what you're saying. Well, Alaska offered the second part, which is the ranked voting, which we had in the New York City mayor election. And that is when you have a lot of candidates, let's take the recent congressional district in New York, number 10, where you had many candidates and the winner had 26 percent of the vote. Right. It's ridiculous uh, that the person that's going to Congress was opposed by 75 percent of Democrats. But but what I'm saying, excuse me, if I can finish that, that means with the ranked voting, you then take the, the, the person who does the worst and you say, who is your second choice? Sure. And you keep eliminating them until you get somebody who has over 50 percent. So Alaska had a lot of candidates for that congressional office in in the primary you're talking about. They chose four. uh, One dropped out and then three ran in the runoff, so to speak. Nobody had 50 percent. So you took the second choice of the third place uh, person. And that gave someone 50 percent. So we not only got rid of political parties uh, having their own private right. election, but uh, we also we, got we just, rid of pluralities. Got it. No, I, I just um, I just want to make sure everybody's clear on their oh, terms okay. so no, they don't they don't think a top four primary is the same as an open primary because they are two very different things well, and produce state, very different results. But 
Um, it, just in terms of the open primary situation, I, again, I'm for this. And when I've been in the leadership of political parties in New York, we voluntarily opened our primaries to uh, unaffiliated voters so that they could participate. But one of the rubs against open primaries, and I've heard this from both Democrats and Republicans, is they say, look, you know, um, why should people that aren't Republicans have an ability to pick Republican candidates? And they would often use the argument, usually theoretical, but in this year's actually it's come to, to come to pass, um, where they're then in a position to nominate or help nominate the weakest general election candidate in the primary. Now, we've seen Democrats uh, actively funding and embracing um, ultra-MAGA Republicans and election deniers in states like Michigan, Maryland, even uh, even New Jersey, Illinois. Do the folks that have this concern, do they have a, a bit of a point? No. This isn't saying a party can't choose its own candidate any way it wants. It's just saying it can't stick the taxpayer with the bill to do it. So I live in a village, which is part of a town. We have village trustees. We have town trustees. We have a village mayor and a a town supervisor. How are these people selected? Well, the parties have meetings at local restaurants, and they pick people. And the people who are there at the restaurant vote for who they want. Now, at the end of the day, they don't say, okay, here's our restaurant bill. We're going to stick it to the taxpayer, and you're going to pay for it. Right. No. It's their point. So if the Democrats could still and Republicans still in an open primary could choose their own individual person to be their candidate on the open primary, they just have to do that on their own and not come to the taxpayer and say, we want your help in selecting it. You know, that's not the way it should work. Got it. Well, so I guess you, you are advocating kind of for a more of a top four system rather than an open primary system. Well, the second step is then to do the ranked voting, whether it's top four and how many runoffs you want to have is, is up to each state to decide. Alaska did the top four. But in Alaska, you actually had two Republicans in that four. So it wasn't right. a question that the Republicans – what I am suggesting is the, the right way then would be the Republican Party and the Democratic Party would each choose their candidate on their own, however they choose to. It's strictly up to them. However the National Rifle Association wants to pick its leaders, it does that on its own. It doesn't come to the taxpayer and say, help us do it. You're a private organization. You pick your candidate. Every public candidate, every public election paid for by the taxpayer covers everybody. I love the idea of being able to participate in elections that I'm paying for. I have uh, some concerns about the Alaska system because I just wish they would use ranked choice voting from the get-go like we do in New York City 
uh, special elections that are nonpartisan elections because I, I think it's confusing to the voters to vote one way in this round, another way in that round, and it's also a waste of taxpayer money to p- need to pay for two rounds when you have one. But um, getting back to your piece here, uh, Peter, why do you think the lesson of open primaries, or if we're extending that uh, to be a lesson about top, uh, you know, top nonpartisan primaries, why do you think that's a lesson that we've learned from this year's election? What about this year's results suggest that this is worth pursuing? No, it wasn't necessarily this year. I probably had this thought in my mind on and off. There are actually some organizations, and I can't recall their name, I would tell them to you, uh, that have been promoting this as a way of getting around this. Because if you combine the open primary, particularly with the ranking, then you have to tend to reach out to the general public, the larger voting public, and not just the narrow base. Because the narrow base generally is not 50%. So you need to start think about more than just uh, that base that supports you. So combined, these two eliminate the problem of the plurality candidate uh, as well. Uh, and so um, whether it's this year or in previous elections, what um, what's an example of you think the system working well and a trend that people can observe that we should make a, a switch towards either open primaries or nonpartisan primaries? I'm not quite sure what what you mean on that. We've had open primaries. You mentioned some states. Uh, I have not done a detailed study on the states throughout the country or the well, cities so, like well, New York City that have done it. Um, but yeah. I can. I so can let just... me let me try and rephrase the question. So, um, is there what can you point to as a success for either nonpartisan primaries or open primaries? What's gone well? Well, California has been using open primaries, and that seems to have worked for them. Um, I can just use that as an example. And we have the ranked voting here in New York City, as in the mayor election, whereas we did not in the congressional tent. And that shows you you can go into Congress with 26 percent approval of voting approval. Okay, Uh, but so in New York, for instance, um, ranked choice voting in the Democratic primary, Eric Adams also got the most first choice votes in the first round. So he would have won under the old system as well, right? Right. I'm not saying this will necessarily change the final results, but at least it will give the winner the opportunity to say, I won 50 percent of the vote. I'm the majority elected, as opposed to saying, as you pointed out earlier, over 50 percent did not want you. Got it. Which is the way we have right now. We say that, uh, you know, even at the presidential level or other elections, you say the majority doesn't want you to hold that office or to be the nominee. And by having the open primary and the ranked voting, you get rid of that issue. So, yes, no, the majority did vote for me. All right. Well, Peter, I appreciate your uh, your work on this. And uh, please keep us informed on uh, any of your other efforts uh, that you're you're working on with respect to either nonpartisan primaries or open primaries. And certainly we're always interested in uh, developments when it comes to ranked choice voting. Thanks very much. Okay, thank you for inviting me. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment, this is uh, The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 
This is the other side of midnight. I am Frank Morano. So I am hoping my wife usually listens to this show on uh, podcast. So uh, she oftentimes doesn't make it to this late in the show. But uh, I am hoping that she's not hearing this because I'm hoping it's not a reminder of something that she that I had told her I would do on Wednesday, which is I had my uncle um, had my car before I returned it detailed and took out any scratches in it, that were in it. But my car was filled with stuff, all sorts of stuff. And you would think a homeless person was living in my car. And that's not even the trunk. That's just the stuff that's in the back seat and the front seat. So my uncle took out bags and bags of stuff from my car and put it in the trunk. And I had to take it all out there when I was returning it. And as I'm taking it all out, my wife is just rolling her eyes and she says, you got to go through this stuff and get rid of it. So I had told her I would do it by Wednesday at midnight. Now, because of a variety of circumstances, I didn't get it done by Wednesday at midnight. So that is number one on my agenda for today is before before she flips out that this stuff is still in my office and in the garage I have to go through this stuff. And I don't think this is any any stuff that I could throw out because I threw out the stuff that was throw outable. I don't know where I'm going to put all this stuff. That's the thing is I don't have um I don't have enough space. I I know Curtis used to have a store I don't know if he still does, but he used to have a storage facility in New Jersey. And he used to have me drive stuff out to the storage facility and put it in there and take stuff out. I have to figure out a solution because I'm I'm a, I'm a collector and a hoarder of books and of other things and I've got to figure out something here because it's just it's very anxiety inducing for the whole Morano household. Although I must say Carmine doesn't seem to care. He, he doesn't mind. He'll, he'll hop over bags. He's crawling all over the place now. And um he's uh, hopping over all sorts of junk that I have in my office and in the main area. But um you know we, we have this playmat for him in the in the living room. There's a carpet and there's other things and there's a play mat and it's where we put him to play with toys. So often he seems much more interested in playing with with cat toys. But um, what he's been doing, what he seems to really enjoy, and I've noticed this in the last week or so, is rather than play with his toys, which are plentiful, he instead is, you know, the the play mat is like a jigsaw puzzle. Picture a foam Jigsaw puzzle, $100 for this play mat, by the way, which is just foam. It's just interlocking foam. That's all it is. I mean, it's kind of sturdy foam, but it's interlocking foam. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. Pieces match. What he loves doing is just ripping up the play mat and um, taking the edge off of it, you know, and and separating it. So he, he basically, the thing that he enjoys doing most on this play mat is dismantling it. So uh, I'm trying to get him out of that habit and more in the habit of, I don't know, playing with his human toys and not necessarily the uh, the cat toys. Hey, I want to give a uh, a shout out as well to um, my mother Stephanie, who listens to this show just about every day. She fell, I think, in the parking lot as she was in the bagel store a week or two ago. She hurt her wrist. Didn't think much of it. She goes to the doctor a couple of days ago. Her wrist is broken. She's been walking around with a fractured wrist after this fall. So I hope that's a cautionary tale for all of you. Be careful where you walk. And if you have a wrist injury, 
Get it checked out. It could be something serious. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. side of midnight i'm frank moreno tgif happy friday to you the weekend is here it's exciting uh the big news story in the last 24 hours is the passing of queen elizabeth ii the longest reigning monarch in the history of the united kingdom she had a 70-year reign, passed away at the age of 96. Now, um, she is a pretty interesting woman as a historical figure and as someone to be mourned because she might be the only person on earth right now who has received equally laudatory messages in the last year from Russia, China, North Korea, Ukraine, the European Union, and the United States. She might be the last person who's universally liked. You used to say that about the Pope. Now I think it might be uh, Queen Elizabeth II. I'll just say this. Now, she was a um, fairly benign symbol of historical continuity, of tradition, of national identity for the British people. And it's, um, you know, it's a shame that she's gone, but she lived to 96. I mean, who wouldn't want to live to 96? It's a great thing. She seemed like a very kind person. Now, maybe there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than we're aware of. I mean, certainly some of the uh, things that have been reported over the years regarding the royal family's treatment of Princess Diana and of Meghan Markle have not been portraying the royal family in the best light. And look, she's the head of the royal family, so she's got to bear some responsibility for that. But the outward appearance was that she was a very kind person. She met with 13 different U.S. presidents. She's really been a participant or an eyewitness to history to the better part of the 20th century and most of the 21st century. She's been someone that has been portrayed in popular culture time and again on shows like The Crown. I haven't seen them, but I know that that is a very popular show. And in other films as well. Um, 
couple of interesting questions. So this is the new prime minister of the United Kingdom, Liz Truss, who took over for uh, Boris Johnson. And she thought she was going to come out yesterday and unveil unveil her new economic package where they were going to announce caps on energy prices and tax cuts. Every politician loves to play Santa Claus. We're going to cap what you're paying in energy and we're going to cut your taxes. How's that for a first day? We'll see how that ends up working out. But um, instead, she ended up giving a very somber address to the nation, celebrating the life and the accomplishments of Queen Elizabeth II. We are all devastated by the news that we have just heard from Balmoral. The death of Her Majesty the Queen is a huge shock to the nation and to the world. Queen Elizabeth II was the rock on which modern Britain was built. Our country has grown and flourished under her reign. Britain is the great country it is today because of her. All right. Um, As I said, she seemed like a lady with a lot of integrity, a lady with a lot of class. And I can tell you, based on my limited knowledge of the royal family and the traditions of the monarchy, which is almost nothing. Uh, This is where we, I really miss having Juliet Huddy here because she was an expert in all things royal, not just the British, but all European royalty. She was in tears yesterday. But I um, thought that, from what I've learned, a role like the Queen requires a great deal of sacrifice. You really do have to put your own country's needs before your own. And you really have to be thinking, what is the proper thing for a monarch to be doing, not necessarily what do I want to be doing? And that's not something she ever asked for. Unlike uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden and uh, Boris Johnson and Theresa May and Liz Truss, she never ran to be queen. She was born into it. She had no choice. This was a... This was an aspect of her life, the defining aspect of her life, that was carved out for her before she was even born. Well, actually not in her case because the only reason she became the queen was because her uncle abdicated and then, you know, you know the rest of that history. So I want to pay proper deference to the level of sacrifice that she was expected to give to the people. That being said. I have two major questions. One, isn't it, I mean, isn't it about time they gave up this monarchy thing? Isn't this just silly? Isn't this just, and then I'll offer you a counter argument in a moment. Isn't this just absurd? The amount of money, time, and attention that's being wasted at the titles that are being wasted on these people just because they happen to be born to a particular bloodline. This international reality show just based on divine right, it's meaningless. It is useless. I find it absolutely absurd. That's question one, 800-848-9222. And then I will offer you a counter argument that I found pretty interesting. Number two, President Biden, who's one of the 13 presidents that Queen Elizabeth met with, 
uh, had a few nice things to say about her in his remarks yesterday. I just stopped by the British Embassy to sign the condolence book in her honor. I had the opportunity to meet her before she passed, and she was an incredibly gracious and decent woman. And the thoughts and prayers of the American people are with the people of the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth in their grief. Again, I know President Biden's trying to say something nice, so I don't want to pick on him here. But that's the most ridiculous thing I've I've heard in some time. He had the opportunity to meet her before she passed. Of course it was before she passed. I mean, when did everyone else have the opportunity to meet her? Nobody met her. Nobody talks about having the opportunity to meet her after she passed. Let me hear that again. I just stopped by the British Embassy to sign the condolence book in her honor. I had the opportunity to meet her before she passed, and she was an incredibly gracious and decent Not woman. after. And the thoughts and prayers of the American people are with the people of the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth in their grief. All right. So, uh, again, I'm, he's trying to say something nice about someone who a lot of people loved and respected, so I'm not going to pick on him, but it's just an unusual phraseology there. Um, the president ordered American flags to be flown at half-staff. Because of Queen Elizabeth passing. So my second question for you is, at 800-848-9222, my second question for you is, is that appropriate for a foreign leader that was never elected, that had no political power, that happened to be the head of a country that we fought a revolution to secede from, Is should we really be having a having our flags at half cha- at half staff for Queen Elizabeth II? And the answer is I don't know. And I'm curious what you think about it. I mean, did we do that for Gorbachev? I don't think we did. And I would argue that as an American, Gorbachev was much more important as a world leader to us than Queen Elizabeth II was. I mean, let's say Queen Elizabeth II wasn't there for the last 30 years. Let's say it was King Charles that had been in place for the last 30 years, what would really be different as far as foreign policy, as far as international policy, as far as economic policy? Nothing would be different. If Gorbachev wasn't there in the late 80s, early 90s, the whole world would be different. And this country would be in a very different place. We don't know. Obviously, we don't have a crystal ball to say better or worse. It would be different. Um, A much more impactful leader for Americans than Queen Elizabeth II was. And yet we had flags at half staff for her. So those are my two questions. One, is it time to end the monarchy? Two, should we be flying American flags at half-staff in honor of Queen Elizabeth II? A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. Curious as to your, as to your opinion. 800-848-9222. This is not a tragedy. Her life was long and noble. Um, so I don't think, and obviously the British should do what they want. I'm not British. I don't vote in British elections. But if I were British, I would not want this charade to continue. I mean, what do you gain by it? I know they always say, oh, you gain tourism dollars. You gain people want to go on over to uh, Great Britain to see the changing of the guard and the crown jewels and Buckingham Palace. And that brings in millions of dollars in tourism every year, far more than it costs to maintain the monarchy. Well, why couldn't you have all of that 
the crown jewels, the changing the guard, Buckingham Palace, all that, just without the monarch. Do you think people wouldn't want to see the crown jewels and go on the tours? I sure would. I've been to Great Britain, and I was interested in seeing all the great historical things there in London. You don't think people would still want to see that even without having an actual queen? Isn't it about time to end this? I mean, this is the year 2022, yet we're still talking about kings and queens. It's almost It almost makes more sense the way they do it in Saudi Arabia, and, I, and I, I'm not for that system either, obviously, but it almost makes more sense the way they do it in Saudi Arabia where the royal family has actual political power. In this case, there's no political power. It's just a giant symbol, right? And I wouldn't want that if I were you. 800-848-9222. I'd love to hear your view. But uh, somebody who had a contrary view was uh, Robert Reich, the former labor secretary in the Clinton administration. And this is what he wrote in his column, which I thought was interesting and well-written and well-argued. And it, it, it set me back on my heels a little bit and caused me to rethink my position. And I think he worded it well and he argued it well. So I'm going to read you what he said, what he wrote. That Britain mourns her passing, meaning Queen Elizabeth II. That Britain mourns her passing itself signals something special about the relationship between the Brits and their royal family. For it is in fact their royal family, not just an archaic symbol of what remains of the British Empire, but a living, breathing soap opera of a family that in the minds of many Brits symbolized modern-day Britain. That was interesting. To those who say it's bizarre, he's talking directly to me, to those who say it's bizarre for one of the world's major democracies of the 21st century to cling to the fiction of royalty. And it is indeed a fiction. Queen Elizabeth II and now her son, King Charles, have no tangible political power. I say this, and again, these are the words of Robert Reich. It's a relatively harmless fiction, and one that arguably meets the needs of people to gossip about, project upon, and vicariously live the lives of a storybook family that tries to be of service of the nation. Here in America, many of us romanticize our presidents and their families, at least at the start of an administration, and he cites the example of Camelot. But because our presidents head the executive branch of the government, the two roles, the projected glamour and the political reality, often get confused, leaving us disappointed, if not disgusted. And then um, he goes on to say, Britain's government may seem drab and boring, um, but is it's at least free to do its boring best. Here, meaning in the United States, here we demand that our presidents and their spouses throw formal balls and state dinners, decorate the White House like a castle, appear in person at every major national anniversary or memorial or funeral, and always symbolize this nation. I'm certainly not suggesting America have a royal family. Well, sounds like you are. Just that Britain's infatuation with its own may have some social utility there that we Yanks don't understand. Well, I am a Yank that does not understand it. 
I get what Robert Reich is saying, that there's a value to all this pomp and circumstance, that people like the reality show aspect, that they like having a head of state that goes to all the funerals and all the national anniversaries, and that we want it too, but our image of the head of state, whoever the head of state happens to be at any given time, gets tainted because that head of state, the president, has to make controversial political decisions. Now, I am all for making the job of president more ceremonial. If you look at the constitutionally prescribed powers of the presidency in the United States, there's not that many of them. The power of the presidency has expanded dramatically over the years from what it was in 1789 and from what I think the founders intended. And I don't think that's a good thing. I think really the power, the 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 gist of the power in this country should be with Congress at the national level and with the state legislatures, not with the president. I would love to see the president be a more ceremonial role, but clearly I'm in the minority. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a head of state that goes to all the good functions, but I would prefer to elect that head of state rather than rather than have it just be someone that inherits that role. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Question one, is it time to do away with the monarchy? Question two, is it appropriate for the United States government to fly American flags at half-staff for the passing of a British monarch? Why or why not? To both questions. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Mark in Rochelle Park. Hello, Mark. Good morning, Frank. How are you? Real quick. Question number one, just keep the monarchy. It's 1,100 years old tradition. I really don't care about that, so let them fight that out. Number two, blanket has staff. I was actually uh, upset with that yesterday. I didn't think that was right. But the reason I'm calling is I thought it was insane on Facebook, you know, watching yesterday. People were people were reporting it like, I can't believe, I can't believe that the queen is dead. She's 96 years old. What did you think was going to happen? Right, exactly. Everybody, exactly. Had, everybody had to report this. Like, thank God they posted it or I wouldn't have found out that the queen died. That's all I got today, Frank. Have a great day. Thank you very much, Mark. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, this is what 96-year-olds do. They die, right? 800-848-9222. Mike is in New Jersey. Hello, Mike. Frank, question one, I'm going to say yes because I'm a tradition guy. Question number two, I have a quick story. It happened to me. I was at our president of our company, owner of our company had passed, and I lowered the flag on my own, and I was ripped to shreds by a military mom who said there's an etiquette according to the military, so I'm not familiar with it. But I believe it has to be military-based, so I don't know. I'm sure the president can can honor it, but, um, yeah, I was ripped to shreds because the owner of our company had passed from cancer, and I had lowered the flag on my own that morning. Well, yeah, and I mean, I, was, I don't I don't know what the protocol is for your, your company, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, um, you know, that guy, that that's the company that he built, right? I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Well. Well, there was. <laughs> I guess there is. I guess there was. Hey, Mike, thank you. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Peter is in the Bronx. Hello, Peter. 
Hey, Frank, how you doing? Yes, the monarchy needs to be done away with. It. That money can be spent. Uh, I don't know how much money they spend on that every year, but that money can be spent well better on other things. Also, as far as putting the flag half mass, um, I, you know, that country has fought side by side with us for, for, many, for over the last hundred years and uh, has, has been great, uh, has been great ally. And uh, it's just shown respect, you know, as if, if a friend of yours child died, you would show respect to the whole family. And, and so, you know, a, a friend of the United States, an ally of the United States, a, a, you know, part of their, you know, their higher ups has passed away. And we're just showing respect. And, well, well, and, so and so I, the last Peter, I'll, I'll let you make whatever other point you were going to make. I, I'm not against showing respect. I think putting out a statement is nice. I think uh, President Biden attending the funeral would be nice. I, um, you know, same thing with Shinzo Abe in Japan, who was actually the elected leader of that country as the prime minister. I don't have a problem with uh, them putting out a nice statement for Shinzo Abe's passing or Kamala Harris going to his funeral. But like you said, you used the example if a friend of mine passed away. Well, I would go to the funeral or the wake, but I wouldn't be draping my house in black. I feel like that's the kind of thing that only my friend's family should be doing. You see what I mean? I think there's a little bit of a difference. Yes, yeah, I understand that. I just think, but it's it's a it's a much higher thing than that. And I just think it's yeah, it's a show that sort of respect on a national level. I think is you know, but I, I understand your point as well. Yeah, and you look, know, so and again, I, believe me, this is not the the hill that I'm going to die on. Uh, Queen Elizabeth seemed like a a perfectly nice lady that was a great symbol for her country for a long time. So I'm not upset that they lowered the the flag like the previous caller was. But I just wonder, going forward, you know, if God, if King Charles dies in 10 years or 20 years, should we be lowering the flag for him? I, I guess you say it's, it's a nice thing to do. It's relatively harmless. What's the harm? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I understand that. I'm sympathetic to that. Again, I'm not getting worked up over this. I'm not going and participating in a march um, demanding that they stop lowering the flag for foreign monarchs dying. I just – it's not what I would do, I don't think, if I were the president. But um, who knows? I mean, Maybe I would. We won the war. Exactly. Right. So, we had a revolutionary war. Yeah. But so are you saying we should be good winners or – No, but I'm saying we, we won a war. And if you want to talk about tradition, we won a war. And if you say the queen's ancestors attacked us and we won the war and now we're lowering the flag. Right. Now, I know the times are different. Yeah. But I – my opinion is it's a military. And it should only be done for um, anybody in, in the in the government, in our government, in the American government, the United States, and military veterans, anybody like that. I don't think for any foreign dignitary, no matter who they are, we should be lowering the flag at half mass. Well, you know who said the same thing? Um, William Shatner. Uh, Shatner was on, I think it was the Howard Stern show, and uh, he essentially – I think the question was about um, – I don't remember. I don't remember what the uh, who the performer was. I think it might have been, might have been uh, Whitney Houston, and she had passed away. And I think New Jersey lowered their flags in her honor. I, I, I could be incorrect. And Howard Stern asked Shatner, "Do you think that's appropriate?" And Shatner said the same thing you did. He said, "No, this should only be uh, something that's reserved for." 
military military deaths and presidents and yeah, you know, people right. like that. I get that. I get that. Uh, 800-848-9222. Teresa is in New Jersey. Hello, Teresa. Good morning, Frank. How morning. are you today? Great. Thank you. Um, just real quick. Uh, I'm going to be a little sarcastic. Sorry out there, everybody. Um, but I'll be polite. I really don't care whether the woman died or not. She had a good life. And people die. Um, I'm not crazy about the, uh, you know, the monarchy stuff and the pomp and circumstance. And I think it's ridiculous. And she wasn't actually a very nice lady. She was noble and she pulled it through, you know, for 70 so years. Good for her. But as far as our own president right now goes, we have to lower our flags half mast because, you know, she does in fact remind him of his mother. Does she not? Did he not say that? You know, I, if he said that, I didn't hear it. But uh, again, yeah, my my did. attitude would be, you know, who cares if if he reminds of of her mother? I mean, it's not uh, it's not our not our issue. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight nine. Two, two, two. Uh, all right. Al is here in Manhattan. Hello, Al. Hey, good morning, Samara. How you doing? I'm well, thank you. Listen, uh, my opinion is this lady was the longest monarch in the world of all time, right? They've been with us forever, right? And the reason people were shocked was Tuesday. She's talking perfectly normal. Her husband was just short of 100 when he died. Her mother was like 102 or something. So she looked pretty good up until something happened yesterday. Uh, I think uh, if Biggie Smalls can get a Metro card, we can lower her flag. In fact, let's rename the Ed Koch Brother Bridge, maybe the Queensboro Bridge. And <laughs> last, just one little trivia thing. Uh, there were 13 presidents she met, but one she missed. Who was it well, and why? So I, I saw that headline today. I'm guessing that it was um, that it was either Gerald Ford or John F. Kennedy. Good guess, but right in the middle. LBJ because really? she's pregnant. Really? Well, wow. okay. Well, you I, I, a great show, as usual. Thank right? you, Al. Appreciate that. 800-848-9222. Yeah, um, so Chris Christie in New Jersey had directed the flags in New Jersey to be lowered at half-staff to uh, honor Whitney Houston, or as we New Yorkers say, Whitney Houston. And he had done the same thing for the... <laughs> can't even believe it. He had done the same thing for the saxophonist for Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, um, Clarence Clemens. So uh, Shatner was asked to comment on that, and he said Christie shouldn't have done it. It should be only for the military. I remember when um, Ron DeSantis in Florida, he was criticized when Rush Limbaugh passed away for lowering the state flags for Rush Limbaugh. And people brought up some of the same issues. Now, Whitney Houston... Clarence Clemens, Rush Limbaugh, at least they're American. You know, to Matt's point, we're honoring at all American institutions the world leader of a country that we fought a revolution to get away from. And then we fought another war against them 40 years later. So, you know, about that. Alyssa is in Manhattan. Alyssa, what do you think? Hi, Frank. Hi. Um, first of all, in answer to your first question, I think that um, it's not something we've lived under, so we can't understand 
how the people of the United Kingdom feel in losing her. I think that she is um, – the monarchy itself is a part of their history. I think it's something that they embrace. Um, they are you know, very much on board when there are weddings, births. It's something – and the fact that they don't have any political power probably makes it even better because they are not – Divided over the politics with regards to the the um, the monarchy and and the family and you know the way we are right now divided over sure. our politics. Okay, um, I think she you know the monarchy unites the people in a way that they are kind of the representation of what they would like to see as the perfect family. Even though, like you know, every other family they have their ups and downs. Um, secondly, with regards to your question about lowering the flag, um, I heard a number of times today uh, when they were covering this that, in fact, she had the national – our national anthem played after 9-11 and honored our dead. So mm. absolutely I support mm. because a woman that would be big enough to do that and recognize our dead – and, you know, to play our national anthem, even though um, I don't know which of your call screeners was speaking about us fighting the Revolutionary War against them um, and that whole issue. But then go back and do your research on World War II and how we work together. Right. Sure. Right. To, Absolutely. To Different countries. The, to defeat the allies. They yeah. were our allies. You know, to defeat the, the enemy. They worked with us and, and you know. So she was, you know, they were very instrumental in doing that. So, you know, I see it as that the woman, um, you know, did should, should, did she make mistakes? I'm sure she did. But she did her best to, um, to run the country and to bring everybody together. And I think she should be honored, and I certainly don't think that anyone should badmouth her. Yeah, well, no, neither do path. I. Neither do I, Alyssa. Thank you. I, uh, I'm, uh, I don't think anybody should badmouth anybody, especially when someone dies, especially someone who was 96 and was really admired and loved by a lot of people. Um, you know, it's funny that what Alyssa mentioned, um, she said we've never lived under a monarchy, and she's right. There are people, not many, there are people that would like to bring a monarchy to the United States. Um, the modern monarchist movement doesn't have a lot of supporters, but it has some supporters. In 1950, 3% of Americans said it would be a good idea for America to possess a royal family. 93% said it would be a bad idea. This question was asked again in 1999, 1999, 23 years ago, right? 11% of Americans answered that in fa- that they wanted a royal family and that it would be good for the United States. Only 87% against. Listen to this. Listen to this. A 2013 poll from CNN found that 13% of Americans would be open to the United States possessing a royal family again. 2018 poll asking if America would be better or worse if it possessed a constitutional monarchy had 11% of Americans saying we'd be better off. 2021 poll found that 5% of Americans would consider it a good thing to have a monarchy. And if you break down these numbers, 7% support among women, 4% support among men, and um, 
African-Americans, believe it or not, were most likely to answer positively in favor of a monarchy at 10%. So I don't know if this is something that you think we should do. Have a monarchy, bring it back. There is a, uh, a, a monarchist party, and maybe we'll invite somebody from the monarchist party on, but they have a whole bunch of issue, they have a whole bunch of goals, professional American military, farm surplus training, supporting local farmers, tax reform, but their biggest issue is they want a monarchy. And they say, if you go to the website for the United Monarchist Party of America, They say the presidential office has become embroiled in too many controversies and partisan divides. The president is meant to represent the whole U.S., but as a politician, they are unable to carry out that unifying and impartial function. Our nation is strongly divided on political lines, and the way to mitigate this is to remove politics from the presidential equation. So they're advocating for a monarchy. Maybe we'll have one of these guys on uh, and see if he can make his case. It can't be any more out there than um, than uh, the gentleman that I spoke to in the uh, previous hour was, right? Peter Feynman. Uh, Mike in Pennsylvania, hello. Mike! Um, Mike! How uh, what? Hey, how are you? Good. You there? I'm here. Yeah. They shouldn't fly the flag at FF because what your partner in there said... Yeah, we fought a war to get rid of the monarchy. So to fly the flag half mass is, is crazy. And uh, that's why we shouldn't have, just like we shouldn't have Confederate flags hanging at state capitals at all. We, you know, they, they were against the United States of America. And we always got to remember that. And allies, we came and bailed them out. They didn't bail us out. Yeah, and again, I mean, look, uh, our relationship with different countries evolves over time, right? Thank you, Mike. Our relationship with Germany, with Japan, is not what it was 60 years ago, right? 70 years ago, 80 years ago. Uh, But, you know, I I, I get what Matt's saying. I get what you're saying, Mike. If I were president, I'd love to think we would not have done this. But if I were governor of New Jersey, we wouldn't have been lowering those flags for Clarence Frogman Clemens. He was a frogman, right? Uh, Clarence Clemens and Whitney Whitney Houston either. Nothing against either of them. But I think it should be special to um, lower the, you know, uh, the big man, not frogman. Frogman Henry, big man Clemens, right? Uh, it should be really special to lower the flag. It should be something that's reserved for members of the military or world leaders or a first lady or a vice president or a second lady or even a speaker of the house. I I don't know. All right. Hey, here's what I do know. We are going to play the thousand dollar minute in just a moment. If you want to uh, have an opportunity to win some money, be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. If you are the seventh caller, 800-848-9222, you'll get to play the $1,000 Minute, and you answer 10 trivia questions, you'll get an opportunity to win that money. There are five vowels in the alphabet, not seven. Keep that in mind. Be the seventh caller right now. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. That's Queen. That's very clever. Named for the Queen Mother, right? Uh, all right. 800-848-9222 if you want to be the seventh caller. Uh, we Oh, well, we actually have a, a contestant already. That was quick. Uh, it is time for us to try our hand at giving away some money. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Let us say hello to Mike in New Jersey. Hello, Mike. Hello. All right, Mike. Uh, you're familiar with how the game is played, I take it? Uh, not really. Okay. All right. It's pretty simple. Uh, I'm going to ask you 10 trivia questions. After I ask you the first question... We're going to have a timer that goes for 60 seconds. And then uh, we're going to ask you as many questions as we can within 60 seconds. You've got to answer them. You keep answering them right. I keep asking them. You get a question right, I just move on to the next one. I don't sit and say, oh, congratulations, Mike. You got it right. Let's go on to the next one. We just keep going. And then we keep going until either you run out of time or you answer all the questions correctly or you get one wrong. Okay? Nope. Any questions? No. All right. Let's get started. What British monarch passed away this week? Queen Elizabeth II. How many vowels are there? Five. What system of writing do blind people generally use to read? Um, what? Again? How do blind people generally read? Uh, I know one with a... They touch oh. something to a certain type of alphabet. It, 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 they have the... I forgot, I forgot the word for it. That's uh, kind of... Uh, have books like that. You know, it's, it, it has like... They, you can feel it, but I, I, I don't have the word to my Begins my, with a B. Begins with a B. Um, got it wrong. Uh, I'm, so, I'm sorry there, Mike. It, Braille. Braille. They Braille. use Braille yeah, to read. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, give Kenneth your information. We're going to send you a consolation prize, okay? Okay. All right. Thank you. Hang on. Um, so I feel bad because Mike seems like a nice guy. But, um, you know, 
we don't give $1,000 away because people are nice guys. A lot of nice guys out there, right? Um, all right. We'll continue. If you didn't get an opportunity to play the game today, we'll do this again on Monday. Meantime, if you want to stay in touch with me, you can do so via email, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. And you can also find me on Twitter, at Frank Morano. I am pretty sure that I am being shadow banned by Twitter. Again, the thing with Twitter is there's, there's no way to prove this. I re- oh, I had Twitter on my denunciation list. I, I must have crossed them off because we had too many people to denounce this week. But um, every everything they do, all the decisions they make, it's so secret. But I don't think it's a, an accident that since I've been critical of Ukraine and the Zelensky government, that they are suppressing my tweets. My tweets are absolutely being suppressed. I don't know if it's because of a change in algorithm. I think it's because I'm being shadow banned because my tweets are not coming up in people's uh, feeds. So what I'd love for you to do is send a message to Twitter that you will not tolerate a shadow ban of my tweets and follow me at Frank Morano and retweet a whole bunch of my stuff so that we can get around this shadow ban problem, which I am convinced I am the victim of. Um, today is Friday. Today is pizza day here on the, the other side of, uh, of midnight. You know, today was a tough pizza day because I got in here relatively early, uh, you know, a little earlier than I usually get. I said, all right, well, you know, maybe that'll give us more pizza options. And then, uh, I ordered this pizza, right. And a non pizza option for, um, Kenneth, our telephone talent coordinator, who's not eligible to have pizza. And, Ultimately, they canceled my order, but they never informed me that they canceled it. I mean, they sent me an email, but you, no text, no phone call. I mean, it's a pretty big deal. And then they were late. They were so late past the delivery window that I, I looked at my phone. I saw nothing. And then I checked my email and said, oh, we had to cancel your order. Well, I mean, how about giving me something for free, a little bit of a... A bonus or something. I use the Slice app, which is usually great, and it's a great way to support local pizzerias, and I'm a big believer in it. But I'm going to talk to the – I'm going to fill out the help request and get them to try and give me a, I don't know, free pizza pie or something. Because we patronize them a lot, and I don't, I didn't care for the way that was handled. But and we ended up just ordering from another pizzeria. Uh, Matt Blaze, what was your take on uh, today's pizza? It was good. I mean, it wasn't anything spectacular. Yeah. It was a good New York pizza. Yeah, that's that's a good description. Um, for Kenneth, who is unable to consume pizza, we got you some meatballs and I think some wings, right? How did you find those? Oh, both very good. Thanks, very, Frank. Very good. Yeah. Not, not just pretty good like Matt Blaze. Well, I was pretty hungry, so any food Yeah, see, that's the is thing. Very good, you know? Everything is an expectations game. Everything is an expectations game. So, um, speaking of expectations, right? I'm starting to think maybe I did go on a little too long at this uh, gala that we had for the radio station the other day because, I don't know, there are varying schools of thought. A lot of people thought I did really well. And then I'm start- I was listening to um, Sid Rosenberg yesterday, and then I felt bad. I felt bad that maybe I did abuse the microphone privilege. And then my wife, after hearing Sid bash me for how long I was going on, my wife yelled at me. She said, what are you doing? Chad told you specifically that he cut his remarks short and you go on and on. I said, honey, I cut my remarks short, too. 
He says, but you cutting your remarks short is going from 45 minutes to 20 minutes. It's not cutting your remarks short. It's it's cutting it short for you. So anyway, if you didn't hear what uh, Sid had to say about my remarks uh, on the morning show yesterday, here's a portion of yesterday's Bernie and Sid program. So Frank Morano walks over. He's like, let me ask you something. This is true. It's a piece of paper. It's like a minute long. You're going to do more than a minute, right? I go, yeah, of course. So I ended up doing a lot more than a minute because I spoke about Bernard. Morano gets up there for Curtis Sliwa. It was like 15 minutes. I mean, my God, it was cute and funny, but Frank would just shut the F up. My God. You could tell yeah. when Chad came up behind him. Like, oh, my God. Moving his arms. Well, you can tell it's going to go that long when Frank starts to really use his hands. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. he starts to, like, point at people. But I right, actually thought right. it was really impressive to go that long without – it didn't look like he was reading off of anything. No, it didn't. And by the way, I had no idea that him and Curtis were that close. I don't, I don't see oh, that here. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't no, know. you don't see it. But no, I, yeah, I, I, saw, mean, I saw it at the old yeah. ABC. Oh, you did? Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, yeah. we laughed together. We've cried together. I mean, oh, all right. I was like, shut up. They cried together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shut up, Frank. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, nobody loves Frank. I mean, nobody says nicer things at this station about Frank than me. Nobody. But my God, Frank, give me a break. We cried together. About what? Uh, well, I don't want to start rehashing tragedies, right? But... Um, I want to thank Justin Ellick, although, I, you know, I just saw Justin Ellick, who is the, one of the voices there, along with Lou Rufino, that's not Sid Rosenberg, because I heard him, you know, say that it was impressive that I spoke for that long without notes, which I thought was good. But then, you know, then then I, he also participated in the Frank bashing to some extent. But um, but that was nice of, uh, you know, of Justin to at least acknowledge the difficulty of uh, speaking extemporaneously and that coherently for uh, for that long, so uh, that was uh, that was interesting. Now, so very Sid, good, Justin Ellick. So Sid makes his remarks, and then, of all people, Curtis Lee on his show bashes me for going on too long, and I'm telling people this, and nobody could believe it. Right? They said, uh, what do you mean? You've gone on and all praising him. What a mama Luke. So, that, you know, it is what it is. But uh, apparently that is not the only issue that Curtis had with me. Last week, we had a question during the Ask Frank Anything portion of the show in which I was asked if I could have dinner with any historical figure, who would it be? And look, I wish I could think about it a little bit more, but, you know, we don't want dead air. So audio of me thinking is not that compelling. So, I mean, and we could play for you uh, Alex Barnard's hit song, you know, live streamed crimes. But somehow I think maybe my thinking would even be preferable to many of you. But. My, the first answer that came to mind was probably Theodore Roosevelt. And that's kind of my defa- – look, there's a lot of historical figures that I'm interested in meeting and dining with if the opportunity presents itself. Theodore Roosevelt is at or near the top of the list. Apparently, that was not a sufficient response for Curtis. What? Theodore Roosevelt? Is he a self-hating Italian Frank Morano? Does he not understand? Maybe I'll have to refer him to a Gambino. Not his friends in the Gambino crime family. Richard Gambino, who wrote Vendetta, the true story of the largest lynching in U.S. history against Italians in New Orleans. They strung him up from the poles. 
And you know who they were? They were Sicilians like Frank, Cheeches, and Zips. And when Theodore Roosevelt was asked to comment upon this in the New York Times, he was then a new appointee by President Benjamin Harrison to the United States Civil Service Commission. You know what he said? The lynching was a rather good thing. First of all, like so much of what Curtis says, that is inaccurate. Okay. The the accurate portion of what Curtis said is that Theodore Roosevelt did say it was a rather good thing. But he did not say that to a newspaper. He said that in a private letter to his sister. Now, it doesn't make it right that he said that. But that makes dining with someone that much more interesting. I'd love to talk to him about that. The other thing was, it was 1891 that those comments were made. Are we really? And he believed, and maybe rightly so, he believed that these folks that got lynched killed the police chief down there. So in private, in 1891, he makes a flippant remark that's a little, you know, mean. Uh, come on. There are days when you could tell Curtis is having a tough time filling airtime. And whenever that was from, that was clearly one. All right. 800-848-9222. We'll do 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Moreno, and it is time now for you to be heard for 15 seconds. Andy Warhol once said that in the future everyone would be heard for 15 minutes. He was incorrect. It it was only 15 seconds. It is time for... Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. E. Frank in Astoria. Yes, my condolences to Queen Elizabeth II, but Frank, you know, uh, England wouldn't be an industrialized modern nation if they didn't have a monarch and uh, they lowered the flag with Dawn Wells in my public school at one time. Frankie in Glendale. Shout out to Fred from Yonkers. Hey, Freddie. Remember the boy from Borneo? Are you really my Uncle George? Yum, yum, eat him up. Yum, yum, eat him up. Joe in Ronkonkoma. Hey, Frank, great show. Remember what it's all about. It's Sunday. Never forget 9-11. Put a flag on your house. Never forget 
that's what I'm upset about. 3,000 people almost died on that day. Never forget. Victor in Manhattan. Uh, speaking of the British, did you know that the mother of Jack the Ripper told her son, you know, Jack, I've never seen you out with the same woman twice. <laughs> John in New Jersey. Hey, knock, knock. Who's there? Queen. Queen who? Queen your room. It's a mess. Oh, hey Mike in Lake George. That's a rim shot. Clean my room. Uh, good morning, Frank. I'm proud to be 100% Italian, half Sicilian on my father's side. I knew seven people who died 9-11. Oceanside, Rockwell Center. I volunteered three weeks later, a day I'll never forget, the people I met. Anybody who volunteers, I take my hat off to. Always remember 9-11. Always remember. All the best, Frank. All the best. You know, that strikes me as, as nice a note to end the show on as any. Uh, those of you that we didn't get to, we will get to you uh, on Monday. All right. Have a great weekend. You want to stay in touch, you can email me. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. Frank Moreno, good day.